The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? This is Young Lion King, Carl Fredericks, and you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get-go, boy Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your hosts, Jeremy Donovan And the young boy, Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy, Josh Smith on today's show, we'll be discussing Wrestle Grand Slam, Server Struggle, Resurgence, Kazuna Road, your listener questions, and covering all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network or to Keeping a Strong Style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate. And click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com. with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit njbwext.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? It is truly the end of an era. Explain to the people why it's the end of the era. Well, you're starting the show off with the 10-bell gong salute, right? <laughs> we, we should, yeah. You need to take a moment of silence because uh, I have officially chopped off Almost all my hair. <laughs> the, uh, I don't even know what you'd call it. Like, it was beyond mullet. Like, it was just, like, you know. I mean, it was, like, down to, like, the middle of my back pretty much when straight. I mean, you, you had the, the Suji uh, hair rocking, man. I had, my hair is way longer than Suji by the time I cut it. Like, I actually have, I'm probably, like, dude, well, I don't know. I, see, like, at first, I was like, man, I got all this hair. I'm going to cut it off. Maybe I'll just, like, donate it. You know, that'd be, like, a good thing, you know? And then, but then, like, someone told me they were, like, don't sell or, like, don't give it to Locks of Love, which is who I was going to give it to. And they're, like, because they sell it. And I was like, what? So I went online and, like, one like one site was, like, they definitely don't sell it. And then another site was, like, they 1,000% sell that shit, you know, for, like, huge, like, upmarks for, like, donated hair. And I was like, I don't know, this all sounds sketchy. And then, like, there's tons of alternatives. And then I try to, like, look into the alternatives, and I got, like, overwhelmed. So now I've just got, like, 12 inches of, like, cut hair just, like, chilling here in the apartment. Like, I don't really know what to do with it. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, man, Uh, they said it was over for me. They said, you know, that I was disgruntled and scraggly and a ragamuffin. But, you know, 
handsome Joshua Smith is back. Is this, is this a return to the uh, gentleman Josh Smith gimmick? Yeah, gentleman Joshua Smith. Uh, yeah, because, I mean, that's what really happened was I got the call, and they told me I was graduating and I uh, was no longer going to be a young boy. And, uh, you know, that I needed to change my look. That's the real reason I cut my hair. So, you know, get ready for a run on top. You know what I'm saying, brother? So is this the official drop of the young boy gimmick or what's going on here? No, I, I'll always be the young boy. It's kind of like ace status. Like he's not still the ace, mm. but he'll always be the ace. I'm like, that's the status with me and the young boy, basically. Hmm. You know, maybe with the hair, maybe you know, maybe some of the the young boy fans out there, maybe they want to, maybe they could buy the hair from you. Oh, if you guys, absolutely, if you guys want to buy, <laughs> I'll tell you what. <laughs> we have a lot of hair. If if you guys want to buy my hair, I will donate that to cancer for children, you know, or whatever it is. Like I, I don't, I don't say that, like, you know trying to sound like a jerk. I, I actually don't know which disease is the one to, yeah. or which charity, but we'll, we'll research. We will give all the proceeds to X, Y, Z charity. If you guys want to purchase a portion or all of my hair, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe nobody's going to do this. But if literally, if, if anybody wants my hair, you know, and, you, and you're willing to pay me, you know, the right amount, you know, then and it's not for me. Again, we will give this to charity. I'm down for that. We should do a, you know, do a set up an auction, see who get to the highest bidder. We can make young boy like little figurines out of my hair and sell those <laughs> for charity. Oh man, yeah, man. We'll we'll see. We'll, we'll see. We'll see if figure any... it out. <laughs> you know, it's something you know. I, I gotta say, uh, you know, I, I usually you know pretty happy with our listeners, love our listeners, but they, they let us down uh, this last week, man, in the uh, social suplex fantasy draft. Uh, the votes were tallied at the end of the day. Eight-bit suplex uh, skyrocketed to the top. First place took the uh, the championship there. I mean, you know, there there's been a lot of controversy in this country about elections and votes and things like that. I don't want to add any sort of uh, you know controversy, but I mean, I just feel like. I'd be doing us a disservice if I didn't mention that there's no way to tell who voted or how many times for for each one of the candidates. Like, it was an honor system. So, you know, I'm hoping, you know, that this was all on the up and up. But I, I feel like we needed to stop the steal and do an audit. And <laughs> stop the count. <laughs> stop the count. Figure out, you know, what happened. Because it's weird. Like, 2 a.m. in the morning, like... 300, you know, votes for 8-Bit Suplex just, like, dropped into the ballot box. No accounting for who handled them or when. Like, I don't know what happened there. I mean, if the, if we had ended this election at the proper time, Keeping a Strong Style was clearly the winner here. Yeah, I mean, we were in uh, first place for, um, I would say, majority of the, the voting period. Listen, it doesn't matter. I, I, our card is, like, the shit. So, I mean, I don't really care. You know, congratulations to 8-Bix Suplex. Congratulations to Josh. Congratulations, Sandy, if you're still part of the show and the <laughs> network. <laughs> congratulations to Dan. Although he wasn't involved, I feel like he's part of that show at this point and just needs to be acknowledged. I, I acknowledge him as the tribal chief of 8-Bix Suplex. <laughs> oh, man. 
yeah, all fun and games there. Yeah, shout out to Josh number two, eight bit suplex for uh, winning the the poll this year in the draft. Looking forward to uh, next year's draft already. But uh, man, we got a lot of news to talk about here in the world of New Japan pro wrestling, and I think we should start out with some of the the big. I can't stuff. wait! I cannot wait. Yeah, I think we should start with some of the big stuff before we talked about uh, Kazuna Road and uh, New Japan Strong. So first thing, uh, Wrestle Grand Slam. So last week it was announced that Shingo Takagi will be making his first defense of the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship against Kota Ibushi in the main event of Wrestle Grand Slam in Tokyo Dome on Sunday, July 25th. So this was this is the new announced date, Sunday, July 25th. We know the show was originally scheduled for May 29, was proposed postponed due to the uh, state of emergency being declared in Tokyo uh, due to the pandemic. Um, and also, also, the Wrestle Grand Slam was scheduled for Yokohama Stadium on May 15th. That show has been canceled altogether. Uh, the company said in a statement that it had um, scheduling conflicts at Yokohama Stadium, which made rescheduling the show in the future near impossible. So ticket holders for that event will be getting a refund. So instead, uh, New Japan will be running two more Wrestle Grand Slam shows in September uh, in the MetLife Dome in Saitama on Saturday, September 4th, and Sunday, September 5th. Now, it's not the first time New Japan's tried to run this venue. In 2014, they experienced this. They moved the G1 finals from Sumo Hall, uh, feeling like they were turning away too many people for the finals for one of the biggest shows. And they moved it to the the baseball stadium, drew 18,000 fans. Um, But the number uh, was affected due to a monsoon that took place the day of the event, and it was not considered a success, so they moved it back to Sumo Hall in 2015. So, young boy, what are your thoughts here? Three Wrestle Grand Slam shows. I guess first, what are your thoughts on uh, Shingo Ibushi main event for July 25th? Yeah, absolutely. Well, congratulations to you, the listeners, and those of you who wrote in, because it seemed like many of you picked up what they were putting down when they mentioned that, you know, Ibushi and Shingo Takagi was just too big a match for, you know, your cork and halls or what have you and that it need need to be on a big stage and um you know many of you surmised that it was probably going to be the tokyo dome and you know you seem to be correct here which is great um i'm i'm all for this my only real gripe and it's real minor i just i don't like when the events are like kind of like split up month to month but kind of carry the same branding and name you know right, right yeah uh, it, it's just a nitpicky thing because it's like you know we have the road twos and then we had, you know, to build to those particular shows and then, you know, the big tours, the big shows in between. And it's weird when you have like July Wrestle Grand Slam and then all the way in September Wrestle Grand Slam again. And I'm guessing that's probably going to be like after the Olympics. So that's probably part of it. I don't know how much New Japan's going to actually run during the Olympics. That's something we still aren't even really totally sure on. But, uh, other than that, this is great. I mean, Shingo and Kotobushi, that's a match that we've been wanting to see for a while. Um, you know, on the big stage with the title on the line, they've been teasing it since the early part of this year. We're finally getting it in the Tokyo Dome. That's awesome. And that's something that's really big for both of these guys because it's two New Japan established stars that originated outside of the Nogi Dojo, like we've mentioned before. But I mean, not just the fact that they're both former champions at this point, or, you know, current champion and former champion, and not just the fact that they're headlining a show against each other, but they're headlining a Tokyo Dome show. And, 
I mean, we don't know all the provisions and capacities and things like that just yet, but that still is a huge honor just to even headline that show in general. And then on top of it, like, you know, the fact that it's these two guys that they've like put their faith and trust, trust to do that. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I think it's, it's just going to be real interesting because I mean, obviously Shingo's never headlined a Tokyo Dome before. Um, Abushi has, but if we're, if we're really being honest with ourselves, they've headlined him the, the, the first year. It was under the auspices that it was a double gold dash, you right. know? Yeah. And then the second year it was, it wasn't a double gold dash, but it was sort of like he was tied to Jay White. He was tied to Naito. I mean, who, he, he was a geek in that scenario. Like, right, exactly. And yeah, he's coming into this as the challenger, but he is the more established guy when it comes to big match, big dome scenarios where I don't think you could totally say that about his previous um, times headlining the dome. So the fact that they kind of trust him says something. The fact that they've, you know, established Shingo here says something and you know, that they trust these guys to go out there, put on a hell of a show and draw. That's a huge statement. And um, I think that's a, a really big, that's like one of the most positive things I've, heard from this company all year if i'm being frank now what do you think about the criticism coming from guys like dave melcher saying that abushi and shingo is not a tokyo dome main event well it already it, it is you know <laughs> that's the thing it is uh he could be right and there could be people who you know um have that opinion and and i think we're looking at the same thing but having two different viewpoints or ways of looking at it you know they're seeing it and saying these guys aren't established at that level so they shouldn't be the ones doing it because it's not gonna draw you know right and maybe and maybe there are some hard numbers that back that up um but on my end i'm i'm thinking like well if the capacity and i'm not making this as an excuse i think that this could draw with or without you know the capacity limits but even if let's say the capacity limits are in place then why wouldn't you run with two of your more popular guys i mean you know in this sort of instance it makes sense to potentially try that out but even if like let's say if they're allowed to do like 11 12 000, something like that something similar to what they did back in january um i have no reason to think that these guys aren't you know, headliners. I mean, how are they going to headline unless you put them to the test, you know? Right. You, you got to elevate new talent. You have to give them that, that spot to kind of sink or swim. Like you mentioned, you know, Bushi does have some domain events under his belt, but not like a true, like this is about him. And so also it's a big story, him trying to regain the world heavyweight title, um, you know, losing it uh, very shortly after the, the new title was pre presented here. And I know I think we have seen in the past, you know, great ticket sales with Abushi in main events and Shingo in main events. And so yeah. with, a, with a limited capacity, like you said, I mean, uh, I'm seeing news at Olympics. They might be allowing up to 10,000 people um, in arenas for Olympic Games. And it sounds like it might be back up to 5,000 for everything else. So who knows, maybe between 5,000, 10,000 um, seats there um for the for Tokyo Dome, I feel like with this main event, that's a good start. And then filling out the card with some other big matches, they should be able to, you know, hit whatever their capacity number is. I mean, a couple things. So, I mean, in the past, literally, 
there have been guys that have been given the the task to headline the dome when obviously it was like their first time just in the recent past. Let's say in the last, you know, 15 years. I mean, Kenny Omega, Tetsuya Naito, Shinsuke Nakamura, Hiroshi Tanahashi, who all probably headlined to disappointing numbers initially. And then, you know, later on had immeasurable success, obviously. So, I mean, in some, in almost all those scenarios, though, they had an A-side to kind of carry them. So, I mean, that's kind of your argument there. Um, in this situation, that is sort of what you have. You have an established headliner in Kota Ibushi. Is he the top guy in the company? No. But he's in that top four, top five. And then Shingo is the guy that they're kind of poising to, you know, step up to that level. I think that this is a pretty smart fun exciting and calculated main event if you can if you kind of consider the alternatives what we were probably going to get previously which was like say okada osprey which don't get me wrong i'm a big fan of okada and osprey i've seen all their matches against one another i think it's a great series but to some degree i almost I'm more excited about this match than I was going to be for Okada Osprey because I already knew what to expect with that series. I kind of knew who the winner was going to be. For me, it was like a foregone conclusion already. I mean, I could have been wrong, but still. Um, I don't know. I just didn't get the juices flowing. Like That seemed almost like something that, since we'd already seen it in the Dome earlier in the year, it shouldn't even have been headlining. This seems like, a to me, the preferable you know, option and opportunity. I don't know. Yeah, it seems very exciting. You know, it's a, a lot of things that people talk about during the Evil title run. It's something new, something fresh, something different. And yeah, you know, what Shingo as champ is new and fresh and different. But the difference here is we're actually getting great main events or some intriguing matchups that you can do, matches that can actually draw and sell. And, you know, we, we only, I think we've only seen Ibushi and Shingo, I believe, we're only wrestled one time. Um, that was in the G1. In the G1, yeah. Um, so very fresh matchup. And like you mentioned, it's a match that can go either way. We know traditionally... Um, first-time champions usually don't have long title reigns. We've seen first-time champions drop the title um, in their first defense, so there is a precedent that Chingo could lose. I mean, we will also see champions um, get success, at least one successful defense off, and so Chingo could beat Abushi. We don't know, you know, what direction they're going to go, what story they're trying to tell. Obviously, whoever the champion is, they have a, a tough schedule with a lot of big shows um, coming up this summer. Um, but I think either guy, you can go forward um, with Shingo, get some fresh new um, main events, or you can go back to Ibushi and kind of establish him as your top guy. And I think there's still some fresh matches you can do with Ibushi on top. Well, not only that, you have to kind of consider, you know, once this match is over, um, you know, we probably have those two big Wrestle Grand Slam shows in September, like they mentioned, and then I'm I'm supposing that we're going right into the G1 after that. That doesn't leave a lot of time until Wrestle Kingdom again. So there's a good likelihood that whoever wins this particular match is most likely going to the Dome as the champion. And so I think that's kind of how you need to be looking at it. In most cases, I would say Shingo probably easily beats Ibushi, but like you mentioned, transitional titles for the first title run are not uncommon. And then when you kind of put the time constraints on it uh, with the schedule and you kind of look at who, who could, you know, um, each one of these two guys headline the dome against 
provided that, you know, they're going to the Dome. And, you know, who, who's to say that whoever wins doesn't drop the belt at the next big event as well? So, I mean, there's there's some variables there, but that's kind of how I'm looking at it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there, there are guys. I mean, obviously there's a story there with, with Shingo and Okada. Uh, there's a story for Okada and Ibushi. Uh, we don't know when Osprey is going to come back in. Um, obviously, Naito. I think a Naito Shingo, whether it's for Wrestle Kingdom or they want to pull that out for um, these um, the other other dome shows in uh, MetLife in the MetLife Dome, I think there's some big matches that they can pull out. Yeah, I mean, there's other names too that like Jeff Cobb, um, you know Suzuki, you know. Um, I think Jay White, Kenta's a guy you can, you can pull in a title match. Yeah, uh, we're kind of this this uh, particular title match is a pretty important one, and I think it it. Uh, opens up a lot of different avenues for potential title challengers for the remainder of the year. Yeah. My own, my only one concern about this July 25th, Tokyo dome is it's kind of getting smack dab in the middle of the summer struggle tour. So we do have two uh, big summer struggle shows in Sapporo, July 10th and 11th. Um, and then we do have summer struggle in Osaka on July 22nd and 23rd, which leads into the Tokyo dome. Uh, show on July 25th, and then after that, uh, there's just, just still more some struggle, summer struggle shows happening. So, oh, there's some struggle well, in, in in Nagoya the day before the dome, July 24th. Well, I mean, yeah, that that doesn't sound anything unlike what we've already kind of been experiencing this year with, you know, the the melding of different big shows and tours, sort of like what I alluded to earlier. So, uh, I mean, as they're not doing a Jingu Stadium show this year, obviously, with that schedule. So I'm not too worried about it. I think it's a, I don't know, for my brain, it's just easier to keep things in track when I'm like, August is, you know, you know, G1 and like October is King of Pro Wrestling, which like, I don't even know if they're ever bringing King of Pro Wrestling back. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, you know, that sort of thing. Like, that's kind of how I keep my memory. So like, when I'm like, when it gets to that whole like, Hino Kuni uh, you know, where's Hinokuni happen? What, you know, what is this? What's that? Like that, it just gets weird when the tours get like kind of switched up and the big, you know, shows and everything. Yeah. I guess for me, I'm just kind of curious to see what's going to kind of be the main events in some of these summer struggle shows. We have a couple of them we'll talk about in a second. And then what's going to fill out based off of that, what's going to fill out the rest of this July 25th Tokyo Dome. Yeah. Well, I heard uh, the Bucks are working it. <laughs> oh. Kenny and the Bucks are coming to challenge for the Never Six Mans. Hey, that would be pretty fire. Elite versus uh, Goto Ishii and Go- uh, Goto. And Yoshi. That, w- that, that probably would be incredible, actually. <laughs> 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 I mean, think about the history with all those guys. Oh, yeah. Main event, give them 30 minutes. Oh, man. But uh, let's talk about a uh, summer struggle here. So we do have two of the main events for summer struggle in Sapporo, July 10th and July 11th. On July 10th, El Desperado will be defending the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Title against Taiji Ishimori. This will be Desperado's second Junior Championship defense. Uh, also, he defended against Yo for the first defense uh, Dominion. And then on July 11th, the main event will be. The IWGP tag team titles on the line as dangerous techers defend against Naito and Sonata. 
And we did have a question here from Jamanis. Any predictions on the Summer Struggle matches in Sapporo? I say Dangerous Tickets retain because Hokkaido loves Taichi. As for the junior heavyweight title match, I don't know. Um, well, I mean, I guess I'll just throw the quick answers out there for now. I mean, this could change between now and the time that we actually do our official preview. But my quick trigger responses would be Desperado and... Uh, Dangerous Techers. Actually, you know what? I'll take that back. I think Naito and Sonata might win this. Yeah, I do. Yeah. There is. A, I do think there's a chance for a Naito Sonata run, especially since both of them really haven't been doing anything, unless they're going to be in big singles roles for the rest of the summer. Um, and you, you could always do a series of these guys, have them win the belts, and then Dangerous Techers get a rematch for some of these um, bigger shows coming up. They could do the uh, the old. WWE thing, put the titles on Naito and Sonata, and then have them feud with each other. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the Shawn Michaels uh, John Cena build. Oh man, I mean, you can name so many people by, <laughs> yeah. I think they're doing that in Noah actually with Congo, <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah, so I think it's Congo. I don't know. What do you think overall for the for Sapporo these two uh, main events here? It tells me that these are um, smaller shows, in my opinion. But maybe, maybe they're—I um, don't know. Maybe that's me being too dismissive. I don't know. The the shows where they headlined with the tag titles earlier, um, you know, this past month or whatever. Yeah, against uh, Danger Tickers against God. Yeah, those shows seem to do okay. Um, but I don't know. I mean, we're in a, again, we're still recovering from this pandemic. It's hard to kind of know, you know, when they run those uh, Cork and Hall, like, you know, uh, um, road to shows, they just don't seem to do so hot with the tickets. I mean, it's no secret the ticket sales are extremely down and everything like that. But um, sometimes with these bigger shows, like more traditionally, I, I think we would expect to see maybe say like both of these titles defended on one show of this sort of caliber on summer struggle, you know, um, and that, that would be like your traditional sort of C level show, you know, in the middle of the year. But at this point, you know, we're kind of running on a, on a skeleton crew. They've got less people available. You know, they're trying to stretch themselves thin to do the best they can. And I think that they're doing a pretty good job of at least reeducating the expectations of the audience and, you know, to some degree, it's working um, for these kinds of level shows. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, for me, it's just, you know, it's, again, it's the same situation we've complained about in the past where it's a lot of riffraff on the bottom, a lot of, you know, multi-man matches, which is fine. We get that throughout the year. But then it's like you think you're done with it for the bigger level shows and you get even more. Right. It's overkill. It's overkill. And then you get the one you know, meaningful match with stakes, so. Yeah, I think they're, they're two solid main events here. Um, you know, clearly with these kind of main eventing, like you mentioned, I do think we are going to probably see a ton of multi-man stuff on, on the the undercards, and also these two matches kind of being the highlights there. Um, and also, I think they're, they're trying to save some big stuff, obviously, for some of these dome shows they have coming up, and potentially be seeing rematches um, in the Tokyo Dome, or maybe in the MetLife Dome, depending on the results of these matches. Yeah, I guess that would make sense, too. That's not a bad call. 
Uh, so next big thing we got to talk about is NJPW Resurgence. So this was announced, uh, an event announced for August that's going to be held in front of fans in Los Angeles. Uh, New Japan Resurgence will take place on Saturday, August 14th at the Torch at LA Coliseum. A new concert venue set to open this summer. Um, IWGP US champ John Moxley among the talent advertised for this show. This will mark the first ticketed NJPW event in the U.S. since a new beginning in USA Tour event in Georgia on February 1st, 2020. Tickets go on sale on Wednesday, June 30th, and will be priced at $39, $59, $79, $199, and $299. Fans will be asked to wear a mask when not eating or drinking. The venue's website lists attendance capacity for the torch at 5,000 with the possibility to expand to 10,000. Fight TV and NJPW will broadcast the event live. Fight has been announced as the exclusive English commentary broadcast, while NJPW World will offer Japanese commentary. Uh, we don't have a full card yet, but they did uh, announce some talent in their little promo video. So we have the IWGP US champ, John Moxley, the never openweight champ, Jay White, the strong openweight champ, Tom Lawler, the return of the good brothers to New Japan, Doc Owls and Carl Anderson. We have Finn Juice, uh, Shota Umino is going to be on the show, Ren Narita, Carl Fredericks, Clark Connors, Alex Coughlin, Hikaleo, Fred Rosser, Leo Rush, Brody King, Dirty Daddy, TJP, and J.R. Kratos. Young boy, what do you think about the resurgence? Uh, yeah, pretty pretty exciting. Um, I think this probably answers some of the questions we've been getting from the listeners about U.S. expansion and you know future plans and everything like that. Um, you know, at this point, I mean, I, there's definitely for me some um, like little red flags as to how I'm going to perceive this event because it's no secret in the past new Japan, especially this U S division has had trouble properly, properly like marketing, properly advertising and everything like that. So, I mean, the first part of it is like, there's no real TV for this because they don't, again, they don't have a national TV deal like they had with access. Um, it is, you know, pretty cool that they're doing it simulcast on fight tv and new japan world at the same time i'm wondering who the english broadcast team is going to be though um as opposed to like kevin kelly and everything unless they're going to bring him in to do it for fight tv but that seems unlikely uh, i think they will i think like fight tv does it's not as you know overbearing as access tv was and you know obviously access had their specific commentators for the show that ran on access tv i feel like for fight tv they're going to take it as is. I mean, we saw, what was that, um, was it Royal Quest that was, like, exclusive to Fight TV first, and they, they used uh, the normal English commentary team. Uh, oh, did they? For some reason, I remember that being, like, a totally different team. Uh, maybe it was. I could have swore that Kevin Kelly... I could, I could be wrong. I just, I don't remember. Like, this is just the way that my brain has, you know, fossilized it in my mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, and, I, I think that they'll they'll have Kevin Kelly and whoever else. Uh, we've seen several. It could be um, Kozlov, but we'll, we'll see who fills in that second seat there. Yeah. The other part, too, is like this um, this language surrounding like we're at 5,000, but we could open up to 10,000. I don't know. That doesn't like 
just the optics of it that doesn't give me a lot of confidence necessarily. And I'm not saying that they should have gone one way or the other. I'm not saying limit themselves to 5,000 or strictly like go full full guns blazing and say 10,000. I could see why they would say it this way. But I'm just thinking like, I don't know. In my opinion, I thought Wrestle Dynasty in New York City, I don't know if it would have done as well as the previous, you know, um, Supercard of Honor um, show or whatever it was that they, the G1 Supercard. Yeah. But I felt like that one was going to do really well and it there was buzz about it. Everyone was like wanting to go, everything like that. With this one, it, it was just announced and it's got a great lineup and the ticket prices aren't, you know, crazy or unreasonable. They're in a good market. But I'm just like wondering with how competitive the wrestling landscape is right now for live attendance and everything being like very like destination event based and this being all the way out in the West Coast, you know, are they going to be able to draw, you know, plus considering like the state of the perception of the company, they're clearly in, in the US, they're clearly not as hot as they were a year or two ago. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think this is a, a, a right step in the right direction, but I, I feel like we've been burned a little bit in the past with just sort of like a mismanagement of their live touring here in the States. And, you know, I want to see them be successful. I don't want to see another like G1 opener in Dallas situation, you know, where they're like in over their heads and, you know, there's like all these empty sections and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. And, you know, you know, you the, the big thing here, like you mentioned, it, it's going to be, you know, kind of the, the advertising and pushing the show. And, and you mentioned, you know, the, the live events, you know, right now, um, pretty much every promotion is gearing up for live events and getting fans back in their arenas. Pretty much every promotion is going to be starting up in, in July, WWE, uh, AEW, uh, MLW, Ring of Honor, Impact. All these North American promotions are welcoming fans back to having big shows. Impact's having Slammiversary, NWA's doing pay-per-view um, AEW, they have a big set of shows they're doing. They're they're doing their own uh, Grand Slam show uh, coming up in um, September. So you you Can have they a, not do anything original, God. <laughs> uh, and of course, you have All Out uh, Labor Day weekend. They're kind of big traditional pay per view. So there's a lot. Of, Did, didn't they just try to rip off the UFC like the other day? Oh, <laughs> with uh, Wardlow and uh, Hager. <laughs> I don't know who it was. I just know yeah. that they're trying to have shoot fights. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, I mean, I don't know, man. I, I think a lot of this again, just comes down to the TV deal, you know, um, when they had the, the long beach shows initially and, you know, the various different specials that they did here in the States that were live on access. I know access wasn't like a premier channel, but that just felt bigger and like was more exciting. I remember like, even when we were in Dallas telling people like, yo, I'm going to be at the show covering it. And they're like, oh, you know, where is it available? It's on, like, national TV. They're like, oh, really? You know? But when it's, like, it's on pay-per-view. Oh, so I can just, like, go to my local pay-per-view provider and, like, click a button? It's like, no, you had to download Fight TV app. You got to set up an account. <laughs> like, all, Fight TV is, like, only for people that are, like... Marks. Real, yeah, realistically <laughs> wrestling fans. I know they have boxing and MMA and kickboxing stuff, but really it's for wrestling fans. And... Who, I don't know. Like for me, uh, why would I pay for it again? Because I've got New Japan World. You yeah, know? And that, and that's what I was going to ask might... you about. How do you? Because I think one of our listeners uh, commented on this too. But yeah, does that feel kind of weird that it's going to be on you know Fight TV for pay per view for English? 
Um, I'm guessing it'll be up on English later on NJPW World, but if you want to watch it live in English, you have to watch it through Fight TV. I mean, I don't think that's a bad um, gimmick. <laughs> I think it's pretty smart in a certain sense because you've got the, let's say you have outsider fans, right, who don't want to have New Japan World or whatever, you know, and they want to watch the show, but they want it in English. You know, they might drop the money on Fight TV and who knows how much it's going to be. It might, I don't know if it's, you know, it might not be $50. It might, it could be, or it could be like a $25 spot, which might not be bad for those who want that convenience. And then, you know, for those who are like, why would I pay more than double just for English commentary when I can pay the 9.99 yen for the month and get the entire, you know, everything they offer plus the show live. So I don't think that's a bad idea because it's in a certain sense, kind of a win-win they're going to draw certain types of fans to subscribe and other types of fans to pay extra. Yeah. And I think you, you hit the nail on the head there with the fans that don't want to buy uh NJPW world. Cause we've talked to several people who are like, you know, I don't watch new Japan cause I don't want to subscribe to NJPW world. If it was easier, if it's on TV somewhere, I would watch it. And you know, with, with a name like, uh, John Moxley on top, you know, it's a big thing, you know, John Moxley being able to work a U.S. New Japan show with fans, that's a pretty big deal, and I think John has proved to be a draw, so having John Moxley on top of your cards is a good thing, and so I think a lot of, you know, internet fans, John Moxley fans, will, will probably more than likely get the fight TV than trying to figure out how to work at New Japan World. Yeah, he's, uh, uh, the other the other two, um, you know, real. I mean, for your average everyday wrestling fan or your average U.S. New Japan fan, they're gonna look at this card top to bottom and be like, you know what? Sure, I'm not getting like the full quote unquote authentic, you know, domestic New Japan guys, but I mean, this is almost all exclusively LA Dojo guys. It's almost all exclusively guys that have worked that do regularly work over in Japan or big stars or guys that are heavily established on new Japan strong and they don't feel so much like ring of honor outsiders or California indie guys in a certain sense, this is an authentic new Japan show. It's just an authentic you, you know, new Japan of America us show. Right. But the, the fact that we're getting John Moxley in it, I mean, dude, we were in Dallas and he couldn't even work that show. He couldn't even show up to the press conference. Couldn't even show up to the press conference. And now he's headlining a new Japan show in the u.s and it's like okay sure you've you've seen john moxley before but seeing john moxley on dynamite is not the same thing as seeing the death rider you know right and there is a little bit of that kind of gimmick there and is it the same guy yes but john moxley does feel special and feel very different in new japan than he does you know in um in aw in my opinion and if he is hypothetically, let's say, defending the U.S. belt, that could be a big deal. Plus, you got Jay White on the show. What if he's defending the Never title? Right. And then and what if Tom, Tom Waller is defending yeah. like the Strong title? That's you know that's a strong, strong card for those top three. If if we're getting anything you know resembling that. Right. And then you also have the return of the Good Brothers, Anderson and Gallows, which you get some of that kind of Bullet Club fan base. You can draw some of those, you know. Bullet Club fans who haven't watched in a while bring them back into the fold. Uh, then you, you have yeah. you know top indie names like you know Brody King and Chris Dickinson, 
Uh, you know, Leo Rush is announced. Um, so, I mean, I know he's you know going to be retiring after his New Japan dates are done, but it's the great TJP. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Everybody. And also, you know, and then Choto Umino, you know, he's been on an excursion in Rev Pro, and it's going to be cool to see him on the show. It'd be cool if there's some kind of Moxley Umino interaction in the show. I'm sure they have to do that in some way. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, um, yeah, it's, it's it's very exciting. I think there's a couple things to be, you know, a little bit apprehensive or resident about, but overall, I think this is a good step in the right direction. I'm excited for it. And, um, you know, I think it's going to draw attention. I don't know how much attention I don't, you know, I don't know if it's going to be the same as like when Kenta faced John Moxley on strong. Um, hopefully this is much more so, but I mean, this is the, you know, I can't really remember. Sure. There've been episodes of like strong that I've been excited for, but nothing has felt like this in new Japan of America since like, I don't know, probably, I don't know the G one super card. Probably. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I am worried though, that this is, um, the one thing I am worried about is that it kind of comes off. We've seen times where they've had production issues with some of these U S shows, right? Especially with uh, fight TV. There's, there's been some production issues in the past. Yep. With fight TV. And then also, in the LA market, I, I'm thinking specifically of the uh, the Super J Cup, not this previous one, but the one prior to that. Mm, yeah, um, yeah, there, yeah, there were some issues there. It so it was like low level product. Like the the Osprey Amazing Red match looked like it was shot on like a you know mini hand cam or something. The cameras, the lighting, the audio, everything, um, and the ticket sales when they ran in Long Beach for that show were not anything inspiring but you know i don't know what what the fans are going to be feeling like because we kind of talked about like how yeah there's a lot of um competition in the marketplace for wrestling just across the country right now but at the same time new japan is sort of still has that niche element where it's like you know a cool thing plus we talked about who's on the card um if they market it properly you know they they could get a good travel crowd flying crowd possibly um, but you know, who knows how people are feeling after, you know, COVID-19 and after the pandemic, I don't know if people are like, you know, kind of like us rearing to go and wanting to like get out and <laughs> get on a plane and hike it up there. Or if there's people who are like, eh, not just yet. <laughs> yeah. But I think this, this will be big for the West Coast market because there really hasn't been many shows that I know of that have had fans in the West Coast. And also the AEW hasn't been in the West Coast. And a lot of their upcoming shows really aren't in that West Coast area. They're kind of you know running the Northeast. So I think... That's a good point. I uh, didn't think of that. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure there's a ton of you know West Coast John Moxley fans. They want to see him live. They're, they're not going to get to go unless they want to travel think, to All Out or something. Then, well, well, you know, Nevada is not that far. Honestly, so that's going to be your closest competition, and we we do know SummerSlam's running out there, and I'm sure that that's a market that AEW tends to run as well, especially like for big pay per views. Mm -hmm. So who knows? But that's kind of the closest thing I can think of. So you're right. I mean, that's going to be a a big. They're probably like the first major wrestling show on the West Coast, really. Right. And then as far as, you know, you mentioned, you know, people might say, oh, this might not be authentic New Japan. Also, I don't think this is the final announced roster i think you know that there's still time to announce you know I mean, who knows a kanahashi or somebody like that right um 
also there's a lot of big shows. We don't know who's going to be able to come into the States and who, who they need for the shows during the summer in Japan. So I think that's all up in the air. Totally agree. Uh, I did have some questions here. So uh, first from Viking Pain says, will you guys be going to Resurgence in L.A.? And where is Kenta and G.O.D.? Also, how many Japanese talent do you guys think will come over to the U.S. for this show? I would think this would be the perfect opportunity to get the entire roster vaccinated as well. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, first thing, yeah. I mean, um, I can't say 100,000% definite that I'll be going, but I mean, uh, I guess we can make it known. We've applied for our press credentials, so you know that would be a big determinant as to our ability to attend. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So obviously you have the media opportunities, you know, come through like they did for a uh, G one in Dallas for us. We'll definitely be uh, heading out there, but if, I miss Sean. Yeah, man. Dude, that, that was the one thing that the access TV did have with the games. Gave us a hookup, man. For, for Dallas Access TV had an incredible, they had an incredible team. Like they really, really did. And fucking Anthem gutted them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so, you know, as of right now, who knows? Yeah, you, you could be seeing yeah, me and the young boy out there in L.A. for resurgence. Let's let's say uh, good chance, maybe. Yeah. Uh, as far as Kent's and G.O.D., I mean, again, there's still time they could end up on the show, but th- there's a good chance that they'll probably be in Japan working, you know? Um, or maybe they have personal time, you know? Who knows? Right, we don't know exactly what their schedule is, but more than likely they're they're, they're probably gonna be um, in Japan for whatever is going on there. Also, you still need you know guys there as well. But again, not finalized, but I'm sure with you know Good Brothers announced on the card, um, a God versus Good Brothers or God and Good Brothers teaming together against somebody like I'm sure there's gonna be some kind of like Bullet Club play with uh, Good Brothers on the card. Um, next question. He said, are you guys surprised by the amount of crossover from NJPW and impact? It seems like that relationship is really blooming. And you know what? I got to tell you, I truly, really, really am surprised at the level of crossover because I mean, when it first initially, initially like kind of started, it was like just Chris Bay showing up with the impact logo, um, you know, in the Jacob and, I, I felt like people were just way too quick to jump on it and call it like a working relationship. And, you know, I don't, I still don't know that I call it a, a quote unquote working relationship. Uh, I feel more comfortable calling what's going on in general across the board with them, AEW specifically and some of the other companies. I call them talent trades because that seems to be mostly what's going on. Um, but they're not insignificant talent trades. Like they're happening pretty plentifully and pretty regularly. And it seems to be, you know, pretty beneficial for everyone involved. And it's something I didn't, I never really kind of expected to see like this, you know? So it's, uh, I'm pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Especially with impact because of the stories we've heard and just how much new Japan management has hated impact slash TNA with the poor treatment of, guys on excursion like Kazuchika Okada, they would send over, you know, Shinsuke Nakamura and these guys would end up on explosion or get goofy uh, gimmicks and, you know, not be treated with the respect that they probably should have been treated with. And so 
you know, impacts made a hard plea to let, let New Japan know, hey, you know, Dixie Carter's not here. Jeff Jarrett is not here. Jerry Jarrett's not here. These guys that were um, in charge, you know, Vince Russo's not here. The guys that were in charge of TNA, they're not here. Like, this is a new team. This is Don Kyle, Scott Demore. We're running things differently. It's a different, you know, different captains here. And so finally. And, well, know, Don Kyle's is gone. Well, yeah, he's gone now. Uh, so ma- mainly Scott Demore. Um, and so, yeah, New Japan's seeing this is a whole new team, and we're actually, fi- you know, doors are finally back open there, and, you know, New Japan's finally forgiven Impact, and, yeah, we're seeing Kojima, Finjuice, ELP on Impact. We're seeing Josh Alexander on Strong. We're seeing the Good Brothers coming uh, to Strong and Resurgence. So we're seeing this kind of back and forth now between New Japan and Impact. Um, and yeah, and, and it's, it's very surprising to see, and I'm curious to see how you know long this keeps going. You know, one of my favorite things was, like, in the 80s when the territories obviously still existed and you could see tons of cards with crossover. I mean, even in WWF, for instance, you look at a Madison Square Garden show and, I mean, you'd see, like, you know, I don't know, Buzz Sawyer and Ric Flair and, you know, (laughs) Harley Race and all kinds of guys, you know, that weren't in the company, you know, Dusty Rhodes. Uh, you know, those famous Maple Leaf Garden shows where, you know, in the Hawaii shows where the guys from all the different companies could work against one another. And then, like, in the 90s, um, you know, I, I think about, like, the times in, like, ECW where you'd see guys stopping through and you'd see, like, these cool matches with, like, the Steiner Brothers or, like, Road Warrior Hawk or, like, Bobby Eaton, um, Sid Vicious. And it was just really cool when you could get that sort of, like, crossover with, you know, different guys doing things like that. And so it's sort of in this situation, like we had a lot of this in Japan for decades, you know, lots of times where due to different circumstances, there was crossover and working agreements and talent trades. And that was awesome. But like, it's, it's, and also here in the States too, I mean, with new Japan and, you know, WWF, WCW, ring of honor, you know, TNA, but it's just really nice to sort of kind of see this kind of spreading um, sort of across the board. And, you know, the one thing is I'd, I just, I would really like to see, you know, um, crossover back with other domestic Japanese companies because it's, you know, since the NOAA, you know, split in like 2015, 2016, it's, it hasn't really happened again. And I would love for some of that to kind of take place. Yeah, that that would be great. So yeah, some more yeah domestic kind of doors being opened would be cool and see that, especially for the junior division. Like, we could, the junior division could definitely use some help from like using some either indie or domestic, you know, other promotion guys. Well, I just kind of laughed because you know, <laughs> um, it's funny. Like you listen to like Tamas Island, and he gets so mad at like Kenny and the Bucks. It's like sort of his gimmick, and he's just like change the world. They didn't change nothing. Y'all a bunch of marks. You need to open your eyes. But then you look at what's actually happening and, you know, none of this happens if AEW doesn't, like, become a company, you know? Right, Highly unlikely. So it's like, in a certain sense, they kind of did change things. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Next question here from Hawaiian Punch BV. Who do you want to see the champions defending their titles against on Resurgence? Oh, that's a great question. Um... I'm not really sure about that yet. Uh, It's kind of a hard question. I mean, what are you thinking? Yeah, it's hard because, like, for me, I would think that the top drawing match would probably be John Moxley versus Jay White. That's Uh, what I was thinking, too. And, I mean, but that's champion versus champion. 
Right. So, I mean, you, you could do champion versus champion non-title, or you could do champ versus champion. You have, if, if they want to get that U.S. belt back on to New Japan, you could have Jay uh, win the U.S. title, and he has both belts. Yeah, and that, that is a situation where Jay White could win the title. And, um, you know, he's one of the few guys I think ha- is the caliber to beat John Moxley. But um, I'll tell you this much. Like, if, if they tell me, like, we're doing a title for title match, John Moxley versus Jay White, like, my interest in the show goes up, like, uh, I don't know, tenfold, fifteenfold, who yeah. knows? Yeah, so it, it's very hard because other than that, like they're not gonna do Mox versus Jay White. I'm not quite sure who you put Mox. I mean, you can have a good match with anybody. Uh, also, there's some history there with uh, Dirty Daddy Chris Dickinson. Uh, I know Brody King's a guy that he wants to wrestle. Uh, also, there's a connection with Shota Umino. Uh, there's some options there, but I think the biggest drawing would be with him, him and Jay White. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean. I was thinking the same thing, kind of looking at the card, and you know, not to say, not to disparage any of the talents. It's stacked top to bottom, but in terms of like superstardom in the in the world of wrestling, the two big names that we have listed are, are Moxley and Jay White, and I mean, there's no getting around that. And uh, I don't know. I think they could draw a really, really like in, they could draw an incredible house if they had just the two of them. Plus, you know. Now that you say this, it does remind me of like when um, Renee Paquette put out that tweet asking if anyone had any questions for John Moxley on her show, and he was like, "You know, how's it feel to have a losing record to Jay White?" Mm, yeah. So, so maybe that was like a little bit of a, a, a little, little teaser being planted there, a little taste of what's to come. Yeah, and gave us a little taste. <laughs> um, and then, as far as a strong open weight championship, I guess we we're, we're assuming that a filthy Tom will be defeating uh, the Alpha Wolf this Friday and will be coming. I'm in. not so sure about that. So yeah, we don't know. So I mean, Carl Fredericks could could come in as a champion, or I mean, there's still some time between now and that show. Um, Lawler could have a third defense or fourth defense before resurgence. So it's not 100 percent locked that he'll be walking in as a champ. There's also a chance we get like a John Moxley Shooter Umino tag team. That that's something that would be a little bit of a novelty, but I think people would like that. They could maybe do them in like the Good Brothers or something like that. I don't know. Right. Um, I'm also kind of wondering about like, I don't know. Yeah, Shota Umino, Ren Narita. What are they gonna be doing? I would, bro. How how cool would it be if we got Narita and, and Shooter against each other one on one? That would be dope. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, there's a lot of cool things they can do here. So I'm, I'm excited. I can't wait to see a card. I feel like maybe I'm getting my hopes up a little bit too high, and I'll be disappointed. But for right now, this this is fun. Yeah. And the, the one other thing that they could do with Jay White, obviously they were setting up a never open with title match with David Finley. If that match doesn't happen in Japan the next couple of months, they, they could do the Jay White-David Finley match here. Yeah, that makes sense too. Um and that would kind of open up Juice to be eligible to do something. Maybe we get Juice and Filthy Tom. Right. That, that, something like that. And also, there's, there's still a story with uh, Juice and Mox, I think. I think there's there's another match that can get out of that. I don't know how drawing would be, but there's, I think there's a story there. I mean, California, Jay White, Juice Robinson. There's history there, too. Don't forget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's see what the next question here. Dom Homie 101, any thoughts on New Japan Strong running a show in L.A. with a live crowd? So I think we pretty much just kind of gave our thoughts on this. Excited uh, for it. Coming up So show. excited. And I'm hoping that this will lead to the weekly Strong tapings having 
uh, fans as well. Or whatever, whatever format ends up being just, you know, um, running new Japan with a live audience. Like that sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, at Conman five twenty on Twitter, any predictions for a surgeon's main event? Kind of have to think it'll be Mox versus Jay White to try and sell a ten thousand seat venue, or maybe they'll bring in someone else from AEW. Uh, so we kind of speculated on that already, but yeah, I feel like Mox Jay White should—it's like the money main event here. Well, I mean, that was a thought I had—is the idea they could potentially bring someone in from AEW. I don't have a particular name, um, but I mean. Who knows? What if they did like Andrade, you know, mm. um, someone who like is kind of rumored to maybe already have some ties to New Japan. And, you know, there's definitely, at, you know, um, hopes from this, you know, at least from the fan side that that kind of plays out. So maybe something like that could happen. They, this would be a great place to debut um, an incoming star for the company. But. Yeah, I'm not saying necessarily like, for instance, like Kenny Omega and Jay White. You know, I don't know that it needs to be to that level because they already have John Moxley on the card. But yeah, and hey, they, it's it's West Coast. There's a ton of West Coast guys in AEW, SCU, the Bucks, uh, Lucha, uh, Luchasaurus, and Jungle Boy. Uh, they some... need to quit playing around. Bring back Matt. <laughs> Bring back Matt Jackson. No, Matt Seidel. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Matt yeah, uh, your trainer Matt Slidell, that would be it'd be great to have him on the card. Uh, yeah, there's, there's a ton of great guys from AEW that they could bring in if they wanted we're, to. We're we're gonna end up with J- with Jay Lethal. <laughs> it's gonna be Jay Lethal against uh, you know Filthy. I don't I don't know, man. I think by now, if we were gonna see Jay, that he would have been on strong by now. We'll we'll see. <laughs> So uh, speaking of uh, New Japan Strong, another big news item coming out of New Japan of America, the Tag Team Turbulence Tournament. They'll be kicking off on July 16th on Strong. The The brackets were announced for this Tag Team Tournament. The uh, winners are going to be getting some, some uh, trophies. And all the first-round matches will air on the July 16th show. So the first round, we have the Good Brothers Taking on Clark Connors and TJP, we have Yuji Nagata and Ren Narita against Fred Yehai and Wheeler Utah. Kevin Knight and the DKC against the West Coast Ripping Crew of Jarrell Nelson and Royce Isaacs. Then we have Violence Unlimited, Brody King and Chris Dickinson taking on Team Filthy, J.R. Kratos and Danny, Lim- Danny Limelight. Yeah, this uh, this sounds pretty awesome. Um you did make a mistake earlier. You said the Good Brothers were making their debut, and I, I'm guessing that what you meant was their debut for New Japan in front of a live audience because they're going to have already debuted during this tournament coming up in July. That's right. Yeah. So their 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 first uh, appearance back in New Japan yeah will be this July 16th episode for this uh, tag team turbulence, and then also then yeah the first uh, appearance back in fans will be uh, resurgence. Yeah, some interesting, you know, teams here, some interesting matchups. I mean, one that's really, you know, intriguing to me is this Yuji Nagata Renarita match against Freddie Ahai and Wheeler Utah. Um, that just seems like a huge styles clash, but I really want to see, you know, Yehai and Nagata kind of mix it up. The the amateur wrestling uh, abilities of both of those guys plus Renarita can go and 
I don't know. It's just going to be really interesting to see sort of like the hard strikes from Narita Nagata matched up with, you know, the, you know, the technical acumen of like Yehai and Wheeler Utah. Yeah, that should be an awesome matchup. And uh, also, yeah, Yehai great with the, with the suplexes as well. So it's Nagata. So, yeah, we're going to see a lot of throws, a lot of strikes, a lot of grappling, a lot of submissions. Should be a pretty awesome first round match. Interesting. We're not seeing Mysterioso and, uh, and uh, what's Jordan uh, Clearwater. Clearwater in here? Well, they've, they've been losing. They, they lost yeah. to the West Coast Wrecking Crew. They lost to Yeh High and, and Utah, two of the teams in this tournament. So They just picked up one of those wins. They might be, you know, facing the Good Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I think the Good Brothers against Clark Connors and TJP is funny because just, you know, Clark Connors and TJP haven't been on the same page, like, at all. Right. I think it's a setup for a uh, split and a heel turn here because, obviously, we, ha- we have seen Connors and TJP. They teamed in the Super Junior Tag League. They've teamed together on Strong. There's been some miscommunication between them the few times they have teamed on Strong. So I think this could be leading to a, a singles match between Connors and TJP. I, I get the feeling lots of people have miscommunication issues when it comes to TJP. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> um, yeah, and then, you know, West Coast Wrecking Crew against Kevin Knight and the DKC. That seems like a foregone conclusion, you know, uh, kind of like a gimme round. But that sounds like it should be really, really awesome. Um, I think the most storied match here, though, is Violence Unlimited against Team Filthy, considering Chris Dickinson's history, you know, as being a former member of Team Filthy. And... Dude, the, the tag team of Brody King and Chris Dickinson sounds like a fucking monster team. Like, right, like they should just be wrecking dudes in this tournament. Yeah. Um, and so I'm guessing these top two, the way you have it listed here, the top two teams, that's A bracket, and then the bottom two teams, that's B bracket. That's right, yeah. Okay. Yeah, this sounds awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's very interesting. I, I think just kind of looking at the bracket, how it's laid out it seems like all roads lead to good brothers versus violence unlimited you know you could have the heel good brothers against the bay face uh you know violence unlimited brody king chris dickinson but i mean team team filthy is a pretty big team and a and a regular on on strong like they could they could easily pull upset and beat king and dickinson as well yeah i think you're discounting a, a few of the teams here way too early um you know, I'm not saying Brody, you know, Violence Unlimited against Good Brothers couldn't be the way they end up going, but I see some alternate scenarios that could play out, you know, totally different way for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of possibilities. It's just for me, I just think of like the, the biggest teams there, and I'm thinking the heel face dynamic. That just seems to be where my mind's going right now. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, there there is the possibility. I'm thinking. There is a possibility that you have an upstart team like um, West Coast Wrecking Crew match up in the finals against a Good Brothers or or against a Nagata Narita. Who's to say Nagata Narita doesn't win the whole thing, you know? Right. Um, because, I mean, that would be a pretty strong way to kind of establish your, you know, tag team turbulence tournament, you know, having, you know... Uh, legendary former ace dad mixed with a rising star of the future. I, I can't say that that wouldn't be the way they end up going, but um, yeah, I mean, I think the good brothers have three possible opponents in 
Team Filthy, Violence Unlimited, or West Coast Wrecking Crew. I think all all three of those matches could be potentially on the docket if, if that's the way they want to go as well. Yeah. Uh, we had a question here from Viking Pain. He says, where's AEW in all of this? They have plenty of tag teams to send to tag team turbulence. Even a bottom-tier team like Blade and Butcher would have been great. I think it was Brian Alvarez who first said the relationship between AEW and New Japan isn't as open as people think. There's still a forbidden door, but there's a crack here or there that will allow a guy to get through. Has he been proven to be right? Well, I mean, I feel like I've been proven to be right (laughs) because I was saying that before Brian Alvarez ever said that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And again, I just want to be clear all these situations are not partnerships. They are talent trades for me. And this is my opinion for me, when it is truly, truly an actual partnership is when they're co-promoting shows together and when they're sending, you know, a large number of talent throughout the year to work, you know, for long periods of time in each other's companies, the way that ring of honor and New Japan were doing. Right. Until then, yes, it is a working relationship, quote unquote, but it's more of a talent trade. And right now, I think the situation is that we're seeing a lot more of that talent trade take place between Impact and New Japan than we are with AEW and New Japan. That's not to say that there aren't plans in place and they won't continue to work together, but I think it's a tit for tat sort of thing. I think it's like, you give us this, we'll give you that. Because keep in mind, AW New Japan are still competitors at the end of the day, you know, and they're both trying to expand in the same marketplace for a very similar similar kind of fan, you know, for, uh, you know, just such a sliver of the pie. So I don't know how often you're going to see them working together. And I hope it's more, you know, I think it's really great and it's cool. And it's one of the things I was wrong about this year for sure. But, uh, I think that that this particular tournament is a little bit of an indicator. You know, why why aren't we seeing like, you know, Jack Evans and and Helico here or something like that? You know, right? Yeah. Who knows? Maybe New Japan doesn't want to you know ask for that. Who knows what the deal is there? And like you mentioned, I totally agree with you that I think we're not seeing a full on partnership until we get like an elite rising tour in Japan or we get an AEW New Japan World of the Worlds tour in in the states you know this kind of co-promotion and back well, and one forth. thing too is you know who here really realistically is impact i mean you can make the argument and say good brothers but we already knew from almost day one when they went to new japan based on the comments that they had made on talking shop that they had the ability to sign and were already in talks with new japan you know right had there and, been no pandemic i'm sure we would have been seeing the good brothers in new japan so this doesn't feel like we're getting, you know, this is a cool little gimme from Impact, but more so probably very likely the establishment of a true relationship between Good Brothers and New Japan once again. And, you know, from that logic, you're looking at all guys and all teams that New Japan is working with currently and, and promoting and progressing. So it's not like they're really bringing in outside guys, even like Nelson and Isaacs, who you could say like are indie guys, it seems pretty clear that they're, you know, sort of on the cusp of potentially signing with the company as well. They're being heavily featured on New Japan Strong. So right, and then with uh, Brody King and Chris Dickinson, 
even though that they are now using the, the Ring of Honor name of Violence Unlimited, those guys are cl- clearly have been built on strong. Just recently, they're starting to mention what's going on in ROH. So it's not like even like an ROH is like, here we go kind of thing. So, yeah. So, I mean, that's that's one way of looking at it. Um, also, Rich Latta would be highly disappointed in you, Viking Pain, to hear you call Bladen Butcher, you know, a bottom tier team. You know, that <laughs> that, you know. Big Butch uh, disrespect will not be tolerated. Right. Yeah, dude. Rich loves Butcher. I love Butcher, too. I think Butcher and Blade are an underrated team in AEW. I, I watched uh, Butcher have a, a fight with uh, Chris Dickinson at Bloodsport in New York, and it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I didn't even know who he was. He was just Andy Williams. I was, yeah, from uh, Every th- Every Time I Die. I don't know. I don't listen to that crap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, next question here from Steven from the Wrestling Square Circle Facebook group. He says, since Zach and Taichi said they want to fight uh, teams outside New Japan, could we see Good Brothers win or Finchu's coming back? Then those teams might be considered impact teams. Well, Finchu's is not an impact team, clearly, because they were on loan working, you know, doing outside, you know, excursion spots with, with them. But um, I think you could be absolutely right when it comes to Good Brothers. And I mean, Obviously, I painted the the case that, you know, they sort of have open contracts and can sign with New Japan and work with them pretty openly. But from a kayfabe perspective, yeah, they're impact guys. They're the former impact champions. That's where that's their home base, even though, you know, you can even kind of consider them a little bit of AEW guys because they're on that TV show almost weekly. So that would be a quote unquote outside team. And I think that there's a good chance of that happening in, you know, in the very near future as well. Right. And if uh, Dangerous Techers, uh, if they if they do retain there, then boom, there you can go. You, if they beat Night Sonata, you can do you could have Good Brothers kind of answer challenge. But hey, you guys want outside team? Well, here you go. Yeah, that's a great. That's a great point. Uh, so while we're talking about strong, let's talk about uh, Ignition Night One that happened this past Friday. Um, show opened up. We had the Impact X Division Champion Josh Alexander, the Walking Weapon, defeat Alex Coughlin, which is now being branded as the Alex Coughlin Challenge Series. So Coughlin going through a similar thing as his uh, Young Lion uh, cohorts in Japan, Tsuji Yumura, and so he's doing his own Challenge Series here. So Josh Alexander being the first in many that will be facing Coughlin in the future. Uh, Young boy, what do you think about uh, Coughlin and Alexander here? This was um, something that I was really looking forward to, and um, they more than over-delivered here. Uh, really went above and beyond. Uh, I know both guys can go, but I mean, I, I'd probably say this is Alex Coughlin's best singles match that I've seen of him so far in the entire time I've been watching him. Absolutely agree. Yeah, it was very hard-hitting. The grappling was great, very intense. Um, like you mentioned, yeah, both guys just kind of over-delivered and brought the fire here. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, last week on the show, we talked about, you know, Josh Alexander. And it's funny, people keep calling him, like, underrated. I think it's not that he's underrated. I think it's more like he's unknown, you know? Right. Because I don't think people that know him underrate him or think he's just, like, a good little hand. Like, I think people that, you know, are, act like, actively watching him – especially like impact fans, like kind of know how good he is. It's just, he's not as well known based on his, his level of exposure so far. So I don't even know if underrated is the right term. So, you know, to be using for him, but uh, 
Yeah, I think yeah, it's more, yeah, it's underexposed. Because, you know, prior to Impact, it was mainly just indies. He deal with a lot of injuries that kept him off, out of the spotlight. Yeah. And, then, you know, Impact's finally kind of getting into, you know, people's spotlight with the partnership with AEW and the eyeballs coming there. And now uh, coming on strong, he's, he's being seen on more places and some of his matches are getting out there more. Um, so, yeah and, that's, yeah, and that's great to see. Totally agree. But, um, yeah, this was just great. Huge recommend if you haven't seen it. Definitely go out of your way to watch it. Yeah, Alexander getting the win with a, a nasty uh, double arm uh, pod driver J Driller type maneuver there. Also, the story, you know, Alex Coughlin come back from the neck injury. Everybody's testing the neck. Well, Alexander definitely did test it in this match with that. Uh, that J Driller gets the win here. Um, and, you know, post match promo says that he kind of sounded like we're going to see him on strong more often. So that'd be interesting to see. Uh, yeah, and that's something that last week I said he was a guy I, I could see fitting into the uh, the New Japan sort of aesthetic pretty well, and um, I hope that we do see more of him. Yeah, and we had a question here from Viking Payne that Josh Alexander is super underrated and a fantastic wrestler. He killed it on Strong. Who else from Impact would you guys like to see on Strong? Moose would be my number one. Yeah, and uh, you know Moose was kind of rumored to potentially be signing elsewhere. It looks like he just re-signed with Impact, so he's there for the foreseeable future. So um, who's to say that that's not a possibility? I mean, I know one of the issues in the past has been sort of like some of his like past issues domestically and that sort of thing. Um, but, I mean, with New Japan, I don't know that that will apply. I mean, they almost used Marty Squirrel this year. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, they don't give a fuck. <laughs> Right. So, yeah, Moose is the guy we could see. And I, I would like to see from a, from an in-ring standpoint, uh, I think Eddie Edwards is, is another guy. Um, uh, here's my only thing with that. I'm down with it, but you got to bring me Eddie Edwards and not this fucking weirdo, <laughs> you know, phantom of... Uh, a sand, Sandman Eddie Edwards? The ghost of Eddie Edwards' past. Like, I don't know who the fuck this guy is. And it's been this way for a couple years now. And, like, maybe other people are used to it, but I'm not. Like, I I want, you know, American American Wolf. Wolf. (laughs) You know? I want Eddie Edwards, like, you know, from the Noah days. Like, what the fuck are you guys doing? You want a ROH TV champion, uh, Eddie Edwards? Yeah. (laughs) The fuck? (laughs) Um, I mean, you could bring over... um, like, I don't know, Kenny Omega. <laughs> <laughs> I've made that joke before. Um, I don't know. Um, is there anyone that you're like, you know, that I, I don't know. To be honest with you, like, I'm not the biggest fan of the Impact roster, personally. Yeah. There's a lot of guys that have a lot of talent, and I would be a fool to, like, diminish that, but for me, like, I just, most of them don't really do a lot for me. Yeah. Uh, what about Willie Mack? Willie Mack's really cool, but he kind of falls in that category, you know? Mm. And, you know, I'm probably talking out the side of my mouth because if they brought him in, I'd probably be excited for it. But, like, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm just not that into it, to be honest with you. There's a lot of guys. Trey Miguel, you know? Um, Chris Bay. Raju, Rich Swan. Petey Williams, yeah. but I'm just kind of like, eh. Yeah, I mean, I think any of the X Division guys would be cool to have on there for like a junior, junior, junior style matchup. 
Uh, you know, our boy uh, AC Romero, uh, I think it'd be pretty cool to see him. Obviously not like a big drawing thing, but I think it'd be just a cool opportunity for him. Um, I, I think if you can get Shelly back in action, getting the Motor City Machine Guns. The Machine Guns would be really cool if, if you could do that. That would be awesome. Um, there's a lot of talent there. I'm just not invested. The, the problem is I'm not invested in most of the talent that's over there. Yeah. And I would say uh, Black Taurus, but I know he's also of AAA, and New Japan would probably do that to win one. Yeah, and I, that's why I didn't say him. Like, and I don't even know. You know, I don't know what his real long term status with Impact even is. You know, <laughs> right? I, so. I don't. I don't think it's set in stone because he he loses a lot. Anytime I see him on their team on that TV, he's taking a, eating a pinfall. <laughs> that's why I said that. I mean. If Joe Doring is healthy and able to go, I would probably be excited to see Joe Doring. Um, but I don't know, you know what? I don't know if he'd be, even be willing to do that and everything. Yeah. Uh, so second matchup on Ignition Night One, we Zack have- Ryder, <laughs> Matt Cardona. <laughs> hey, man, that man has a uh, hot feud with uh, Nick Gage coming up. You know they're having a big match for the GCW uh, Championship. Well, if he wins the GCW title, he can bring it to Strong, and then I'd be that'd be cool, I guess. <laughs> I'd like Nick Gage to come to Strong. <laughs> I think I'm playing death, death match on Strong. Uh, yeah, why not? I don't give. It's America, bro. American <laughs> wrestling. Uh, so, second matchup, we had the new team Barrett Brown and Bateman. They defeated Adrian Cre- Adrian Quest and Fred Rosser. Um, Bateman ends up getting the win for the team here, which is kind of funny because, you know, Bears Brown's whole complaint previously was his partner picking up the win instead of him, but I guess he was happy that he picked up the win on his former partner in Adrian Quest. Yeah, I guess that, like, appeased him. Yeah, so and it seems like they're going to be setting up a singles match between uh, Bateman and Fred Rosser. Well, you know, I, I like Bateman, so. No, no, no love for the, the suntan Superman? That's not a suntan. It's <laughs> <laughs> a little bit more than a suntan, bro. Uh, uh, I mean, hey, you know, I, I've said positive things about Fred. Ro- I'm not invested in Fred Rosser. I think Fred Rosser is talented, uh, but like, I just don't care. Yeah. Uh, then we had the, the big main event here. My man, the leader of the Bread Club, Satoshi Kojima, defeated J.R. Kratos. Uh, Heavy hitting, you know, never styled matchup here. Uh, there were some times, there were some moments where I thought J.R. Kratos was going to get the win there, that that moment where he was uh, no-selling a series of DTs from Kojima, and Kojima was, was shook and, and backing down and uh, wasn't getting larried off, wasn't getting any of his big moves off. But, you know, finally towards the end they were able to get you know, the Koji Cutter, get the strongest arm, and put down the monster, J.R. Kratos. Yeah, uh, pretty exciting stuff here. Um, and that's kind of the cool thing with, like, a Satoshi Kojima or, like, Yuji Nagata. You put them in a, you know, foreign situation like this against a guy that's pretty established like uh, Jared Kratos. And, I mean, it kind of um, raises the stakes a little bit in the sense that, you know, if this was Japan, you kind of know who's going to win. But because it's strong and it's overseas, you know, you're not really sure exactly the way it's going to pan out, which is exciting. So uh, very good main event here for this week's episode. And, uh Again, definitely check out Alexander Coughlin. Definitely, yeah. So coming up this Friday, Ignition Night 2, 
We're going to have uh, Freddie Yeh High and Willie Utah taking on Kevin Knight in the DKC. A little preview of the tag team turbulence. Both of these teams are in the tournament on opposite sides of... Actually, they're on the same... No, yeah, they're opposite sides of the bracket. So Let's go LA Dojo. <laughs> uh, then we have Rocky Romero versus Clark Connors. This match was built up from the, the tag match a couple weeks ago and Connors and Rocky kind of having a pull apart after the match, so... Finally getting a one-on-one match between these guys here on Strong. And then the one we've all been waiting for, the main event, it is the uh, second defense of the New Japan Strong Openweight title as Filthy Tom Waller defends the belt against the Alpha Wolf, Carl Fredericks. Is that his name, the Alpha Wolf? Yeah, the Alpha Wolf. Lone Wolf? Yeah. Alpha Wolf, yeah. Is Baron Corbin the Lone Wolf? Yes, well, it's, he, he was at one point until he became the king. Well, he's not the king anymore. He lost to uh, Shinsuke Nakamura. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> so Shinsuke Nakamura is the king of the ring and the king of strong style. So he's double king. <laughs> he's king king. And then I don't know what Baron Corbin is. Baron Corbin could come over and then him and Carl Fredericks could be the wolves. Nah. It, yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to see Baron Corbin. On, the alpha wolves. <laughs> uh do you think Nakamura is trying to do some uh, Tanahashi cosplay that now that he's with uh, Eric uh, Boogs and doing the whole guitar thing? Bro, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I, and that's not a... I'm not even being facetious or funny for the show. I What the fuck are you talking about? So uh, Eric Boogs, you know, the guitar guy from uh, Largo Loop yeah, and NXT. What was his, name? his name was Boogenhagen. Uh, yeah. So they have him. He's like Nakamura's manager. And like they... What? <laughs> And they play guitar. Like, he plays a guitar for Nakamura's entrance, and, like, Nakamura starts doing, like, air guitar with him. I don't know, man. Dude, and I only know this from seeing GIFs. I, I don't watch uh, SmackDown, so. And, uh, I don't know. So. I don't know, bro. Stop <laughs> trying to bring me down with that that negative talk. Let's move on. Well, so, Kazuna Road. Well, hold on. Who's who's leaving the strong title? Are you going, are we going Lawler oh. or are we going Fredericks? Yeah, we got Filthy Tom up in this B. Yes, uh, yeah, I'm going Filthy Tom as well. It's going to choke out the Alpha Wolf. Yep. So I'm very much looking forward to it, though. Very much so. And we will have the full review next week. Um, that is going to bring us to Kazuna Road. Yeah, so open up with a question from Dom Homie 101. Thoughts on the performances of Yotosuji and Yu Yamura in their run of the gauntlet? I mean, um, just outstanding super impressed with both of these guys uh i mean i don't have enough superlatives to kind of throw on them but every every single time they're out there and i mean it's been this way for years now i'm just you know there, there was a time where we used to talk about like who was further ahead than one another who was making more progress where were they i think that time is kind of come and gone um we're at a point where like both of them feel fully formed and um able to perform on a super high level at this point. And I, yeah, they're ready. They're both ready. Yeah. I've been loving the gauntlet series. They've both been um, excelling in, in the matches they've had so far and kind of, you know, putting together, we're seeing a lot of new stuff, a lot of uh, stuff that they've been learning and, and just been, you know, gelling really well with the, the veterans that they're going against. They've, they've been the highlights of these cards, you know, the, the best matches um, each night that's happened so far. And so, yeah, I'm really digging this. And, um, you know, obviously I feel like this is leading to some kind of graduation and I don't know if it's going to be a, you know, a 
uh, Toa Hanare situation where they just kind of graduate and get gimmicks, or if they are going to be planned to go, maybe they go to Strong or they go to Impact, or I know Rev Pro starting back up, maybe they're going to go to the UK. But I feel like this is going to lead to whatever that big next step is. Yeah, I I totally agree. Um, so then we're gonna we have uh, two shows to talk about here. So Wednesday, June sixteenth, we had Yomora's um, next match in the gauntlet. He faced off against the Ace Hiroshi Tanahashi. Fell to the Ace in thirteen minutes and seventeen seconds. Yeah, uh, they gave them a lot of time here. Yeah, uh, we're we're seeing these young lions get some time here. Um, I, I thought Yomura looked really good uh, against here against Tanahashi. Um, you know, kind of showing some disrespect to Tanahashi. There's a lot of slaps to the face here, and uh, Tanahashi was not having any of that, um, and uh, took out uh, Yomura here. Yeah, I'm wondering um, with a lot of these matches. I mean, it, it's going to be a memorable s- series, but I'm wondering if, like, down the line, once. Uh, Yumor and Suji are fully formed and, and, you know, have their gimmicks and, you know, we're a couple years down the line. And conversely, guys like Tanahashi or Okada, you know, kind of peter out in terms of their placement on the card. How we'll look back at this. Is it going to be like, you know, the, the, the are we going to look at it the way we did when you look at Okada's? like early excursion matches or Jay mm. White's that sort of thing. Is it going to have like that? Oh man. Like there's, there's a, Yumura Tanahashi match from when you was like young line, you know, I, like the other day I was watching Tanahashi against boss Rutan from 2002. And like, it's clearly like, you know, like an early graduate Tanahashi. And like, it's really cool to see. And it's like, it's, it's one of those rarities. I'm wondering if any of these matches are going to be that sort of thing where like, by the time you more and them come back, maybe Tanahashi is like even that much further down on the mm. cards, you know? Right, yeah. And then they can get like a big win like on him when they come back in. Or maybe they never wrestle. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I'm wondering if and not not just him specifically, I'm wondering if any of these are gonna be like one offs where it never happens again and it's like, yeah, go back in the archives. There's like a Suji, you know Okada versus <laughs> Yeah, there's a Suji Okada <laughs> match, you know, that's crazy. Um yeah, and a big thing here in this match, too, uh, Yomura is going for the Dragon Suplex, which is obviously a move that Tanahashi has used in his matches and has used in a finish in the past. So he's trying to hit that big move on the ace. Couldn't get it pulled off. Uh, Tanahashi eventually. Bro, you can't Dragon Suplex a Dragon Suplexer, you know? <laughs> yeah, you can't. And you can't Dragon Screw a Dragon Screwer. Uh, well, you can, but you shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no. So yeah, Tanahashi eventually gets the uh, Texas Cloverleaf hold on Yumor here and forces him to tap out. Um, so then the second matchup, we had Suji's second matchup here as he taped on the Rainmaker Kazuchika Okada. Yeah, and I mean, if if Suji got the win here, I mean, that would put him in like probably number one contender status, like chance of a lifetime, you know what I'm saying? Right, this, this, this could have, you know, he could be facing the winner of Abushi and Shingo. This is basically Rocky versus Apollo Creed. <laughs> you know, yeah. he was a million to one shot. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this was a, a pretty fast-paced match here. Well, in eight minutes fifty-three seconds, I thought Okada, you know, he had the working boots on. I was kind of working a faster pace here uh, against Suji. Uh, 
And uh, I feel like Tsuji was trying to, you know, hit some of some some uh, Tanahashi's moves here. I was trying to keep up with Okada, but it, it just felt like Okada was just a step ahead of him throughout the match here, uh, which led to um, uh, Tombstone so a surprise from Rainmaker into a, a clutch pin that Okada gets to win here. Yeah, he's been doing that lately, huh? Yeah. But uh, yeah, I thought that was really cool. Um, I I hope that I'm really invested in Suji. Like, he's probably been my favorite guy of, like, this era. And so I'm hoping that this is, like, one of those things you look back down the line and when him and Okada wrestle again in the future, it's like they had they had that one excursion match. Because that's kind of how it is already with, like, Okada and Tanahashi, you know? Mm, yeah. You know, they had the one excursion match or the one young lion match with uh, Okada and Tanahashi when Okada was still a young lion. Like, I, I would love for to be like yeah like these guys are going to have a series down the line you know but they had one before he was graduated you know yeah that would be dope uh so then moving on to the rest of the car we had the return of kojima to japan he teamed up with tenzon and nagata to defeat the great bash heel team of togi makabe tomiko hanma and they teamed up with the golden star kota abushi then we had Suzuki Goon team of Desperado, Taichi, Kanemaru, and Zack Sabre Jr. They defeated the LIJ team of Bushi, Sonata, Shingo, and Tetsuya Naito. Um, I can't remember if it was this show or the next show, but essentially um, Sonata and Naito, they, they used the uh, the autographs that they got from Sabre and um, Taichi as a finessing into a, a contract for a title match. Yeah, I don't remember which which show it was on, but that's pretty funny. Yeah, and so yeah, they had uh, Subayashi had, had signed it as well, and so yeah, he got they got Saber and Tai Chi to sign the program, which that's actually yeah, pretty much a you know a match for the Sapporo tag title match. Yeah, uh, I mean it's one of those things like it doesn't really make sense, but it's just kind of funny. So yeah. <laughs> Uh, then we had the, the main event, 10-man uh, tag team elimination match with Bullet Club of Dick Togo, ELP, Evil, Ishimori, and Yujiro. They defeated the Chaos team of Goto, Sho, Ishiyo, and Yoshihashi. So obviously previewing the uh, upcoming junior tag title matches along with the Never Six Man match that we'll be talking about here in a second. Uh, ELP, the sole survivor here, gets the win for the Bullet Club team. Uh, get some momentum going into their junior tag team title match. Uh, we had a question here from Mitch MM22. Do you think Evil will ever get a main event push again? Do you think he could be rehabilitated and get over, or has he sealed his fate as being just another BC guy? Even if he can be rehabilitated, do you think Gato will even will ever even try to? Well, I don't really know the answer to that right now. Um, there is a feeling that I have, and this isn't, you know, I've been pretty clear I'm not the biggest, like, evil fan. But just unbiasedly, it sort of does feel like he's taking a bit of a, a rest or a respite timeout sort of thing. I don't know if that's just, like, they're cycling him out while they kind of figure out how to put him back in or if they're just maybe wondering if they need to retool him because they feel the experiment failed. Um, the closest thing I can think of to this in recent times is like when they initially started pushing 
Bad Luck Fale on in a major way years ago, and mm. over time kind of gradually moved him down. But you know, there's a point where he was like the Intercontinental Champion. He was wrestling. Right, he you know, beat Nakamura. Yeah, Nakamura, Okada, Tanahashi. Like he was sort of on that level for a period of time. So I'm wondering if that's sort of akin to this, or you know, maybe it's its own unique thing. I don't know. Yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. But yeah, I I, I kind of like where Evil's at, and I hope there is not another attempt to try and make him a main eventer. I wouldn't be opposed to it if like they just have him wrestle, you know, more so in the style that I think is uh, entertaining and, and appealing. And you know, I think they do need to retool his character a bit. Yeah. Uh, so then we move on to a show that happened this morning, Tuesday, June 22nd. So obviously open up the Young Lion Gauntlet Series here. This time, Tai Chi defeating Yuya Mora 10 minutes and 12 seconds. Uh, another good matchup here. Very hard hitting here. Uh, Yuya Mora trying to get the jump on Tai Chi at the bell. Uh, was very aggressive, but just could not um, outstrike Tai Chi. Tai Chi was just killing him with those uh, Gamangiri uh, front kicks to the face. Uh, the axe Boomba, uh, he just couldn't uh, outstrike uh, Tai Chi here. And I, I know this match was should, should be more about Yomura, but I think this was kind of a reminder to fans kind of what a badass Tai Chi can be when there's not an iron claw or gimmicks involved and he's just having a straight-up wrestling match. Yeah, I mentioned previously the connection with Tai Chi and Kawada and how Kawada really took it to him when he was a young lion and I feel like Tai Chi sort of kind of carries on that tradition. And that's sort of what we're seeing here with Yuya Moore. And like, yeah, he is a badass. It's like, uh, it's funny, like how much we've really come around on Tai Chi over the past, you know, nearly four years, but you know, this is where we're at. Like Tai Chi fucking rules and you know, so does you but on, <laughs> on today's show, the story was a story about Tai Chi and like, that's kind of the interesting thing is like with with these lines we've seen we've seen them in various different tournaments in the past and usually there's like a singular narrative that sort like a storyline that sort of runs throughout the tournament with them and kind of defines their presence or being in that tournament but in this like five match series you're not really seeing that you're seeing self-contained stories each and every night you know one night they'll look really you know competitive and then another night they'll just kind of get squashed and another night you know it's a violent you know spectacle it really just depends on the kind of what they're being asked to do with their each unique opponent during this five match series and it's been diff each story's been different every single night which has been kind of cool yeah um yeah you more did get a, a hope spot here uh with a uh, hurricane runner roll up of the reverse of the last ride but tai chi they would come back, hit him with the last ride, uh, and get the one, two, three there on Yumora. Then the next match, we had uh, the other Tekker, Zack Sabre Jr., defeating uh, Yota Suji at 13 minutes, 58 seconds. And I thought this was um, great from Suji because we've got to see uh, more of the technical wrestling side of Suji, a lot more grappling and submission base here. I'll tell you, I, I've been paying attention to Suji's... Uh, you know, his chaining and his wrestling for uh, 
uh, probably the past year specifically because he's a bigger guy, similar frame to myself, and watching him kind of put things together. And I don't think he really has gotten enough credit for what he is capable of doing. And, I mean, I'll be as bold to say, in my opinion, he's every bit as good as Gabe Kidd or uh, Ewan Moore when it comes to being on the mat. But like you said, yeah, he got an opportunity here to kind of showcase more of that. And when you're in there with, you know, a great technician like Zack Sabre, you it brings it out and kind of uh, puts it on display even more so, you know. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, it's definitely a, a, a platform to show what uh, Suji can do in this area. And so, yeah, we're, we saw like a lot of flash pins, a lot of great grappling, uh, um, submissions, getting Sabre some interesting holes here and uh, kind of keeping up with Sabre for a little bit there until... Uh, eventually, you know, Saber uh, just, uh, you know, a little bit ahead of him and locks in um, a, I believe it was a triangle. Uh, yeah, it was a triangle choke and got CG to submit. Yeah. So, and th- these guys are not just getting pinned every night. They're getting a lot. They're getting submitted quite a bit during uh, the series as well. Yeah, Tanahashi busting out yeah, the cloverleaf on these guys. And yeah, Saber and Tai Chi submitting some of the guys as well. Yeah, so they're getting beat in all kind of ways here. <laughs> uh, so then after that, we had the Chaos team of Okada, uh, Show, Yo, and Toriyano defeating the Bull Club team of ELP, Gato, Jado, and Taiji Ishimori. Then we had uh, Tenkoji teaming with Ibushi and Nagata. They defeated the LIJ team of Ibushi, Sonata, Shingo, and Tetsuya Naito. Uh, interactions between Shingo and Ibushi were excellent in this matchup and really makes you look forward to the upcoming title match in the Dome. Agreed. Then the main event, we had the never open weight six-man tag team championship on the line. Uh, and young boy, we were wrong. Uh, the chaos team, Goto, Ishii, Yoshihashi, they defend, successfully defended the titles against the Bullet Club team of Dick Togo, Evil, and Yujiro Takahashi. Well, I said last week, even if we were wrong, I would be happy to be wrong. You yeah. know, and, you know, that's exactly how it kind of played out. So I was still right. <laughs> and I'll see uh, big news here. We had the return of Peter uh, accompanying. That's the big news. <laughs> yeah. Peter is back. I, I laughed. Freaking Milano popped when she came. Ah, like, oh, Peter. Peter is back. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of like those memes when it was like the earth is healing. The, Pe- the Peters have returned. The earth is healing. You know? Yes. Uh, but one thing that no one was wrong about is we've been mentioning just the incredible run of six-man tag team title defenses and matches since Goto, Ishii, and Yoshihashi have won these belts. And we we pretty much said that this was going to be a you know another banger in, in a slew of bangers. I don't know if I would like rank it up there as high as like some of the tip-top stuff that they have done, but this was still fantastic. And I mean... Like they had a lot of time to work too, and I think um, I don't know. I'd probably say it's probably like the best evil match since like mm, I don't know since, since the, the G one last year. Since like the Saber G one match, maybe either that or the Yoshihashi match. Yeah. Um, or if you really want to get technical, you could go back to like the Hiromu match when he when Hiromu challenged for the double gold. Yeah, Sengoku Lord. Yeah, so, yeah, and that's another one of those, like, you know, Hinokuni, Sengoku Lord, like these weird, you know, <laughs> the weird tours all with the names mixed up. I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, a, a very good main event here. Um, 
also they did it was an evil main event, so there still was um some shenanigans, uh some ref bumps, uh, but that was, that was to be expected. Yeah, you kinda have to expect that at this point. Like I've kind of resigned myself, like, okay, this is going to happen. But right. you know, at least it wasn't to the nth degree, you know? Right, and it and it wasn't a world title match. Um That too. Uh, but clearly, what we've seen in this whole tour has been a, a lot of the buildups been between Ishii and Dick Togo. So towards the end of the match, there's a lot of great uh, near falls with Dick Togo almost uh, pinning uh, Ishii several times. They they had ref distractions, and he would get a schoolboy. He tried to use the garrote. Uh, they tried to triple team Ishii, but Ishii was not having none of that. Lariat's around. It's a big brain buster on Dick Togo. Puts puts the Booker Man away, and the Chaos Team retains the titles here. Yeah, uh, so they now have the most like uh, match time um, for any six man tag team champions. They also, I think, in the last four matches, or they've been in the four longest um, title matches in history. Speaking of chaos, and then yeah, I mean they're they've got the most defenses and the longest time holding the title. I think at this point you could maybe make an argument for say dangerous techers, but where we're standing in the um, county right near right now, I think it's really hard to argue against uh, this chaos six man tag team being the tag team of the year in new Japan. Yeah. I mean, you you could argue dangerous techers maybe, but no, I think, uh, Chaos here has the consistency. They have the, the great matches, the great main events here. Yeah, I mean it's and they're also having regular defenses, right? You know, and and sometimes uh, the heavyweight title seems like it's been on ice or for like prolonged periods, and these guys just keep cranking these matches out. Like it's kind of crazy the run they're on. Yeah, uh, we had a question from Dom Honey One on One. Thoughts on the return of Peter? New Japan. Yeah, I was happy. Um, glad that she's getting work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not not sure what the situation there. I don't know if she got vaccinated or just felt more comfortable finally coming back in. Whatever the reason is, um, happy to see Peter. She is a integral part to Yujiro uh, Takahashi's uh, presentation. Um, the thing is, like realistically like they could they could bring someone else in and then they i guess they have in the past at different periods but yeah like she's kind of the only thing that really makes him relevant right and so yeah it's a very very important part to the gimmick he's a very <laughs> uh, important member of the bullet club uh that was greatly missed and so yeah very happy that uh return of peter uh hawaiian punch bb says what are the top titles in New Japan right now, and why are they the never six-man tag team titles? Uh, I mean, yeah, you, you could, like we mentioned, you could argue that the never six-man titles are the top with just the, the, the great uh, main event. You'd be wrong. All right, I'm saying you could, you could argue it, but I don't think that that's correct. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean it's got to be the world title. Right, I mean... Even, even with all the controversy and everything like that, like... It's clearly still they're having the best matches for it, and I still kind of count it spiritually as this, you know, connected to the double gold, which it, there was incredible matches for that. Right. Remember, you the, know, the, the legacy has just evolved. It's 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 yeah. it's still part of 
of the title, but it's not a part of the lineage. But it's, but it's evolved. You get it? Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'll see. Yeah, the world title. I mean, you, you look at all the matches that they've had this year across, for starting from Wrestle Kingdom to now. Like the world title matches have been incredible. Uh, and then from a secondary title, I think I'll see. I think the, the strong title is something that you can put up there. It's another title that's been great this year. With the filthies, uh, the, the tournament, and then filthies defense, and then now getting ready to take on uh, Fredericks. So, well, that kind of remains to be seen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, somewhat agree. Uh, then we have some questions here from EMJ does PR. He says, "Where will you more go on excursion, UK or US?" I mean, I don't know for sure that he's gonna go on excursion. You know. Um, but if he does, I mean, I don't know. Where would you like to see him go? Um, I, I think it, it could be uh, pretty interesting for him to go to the UK, go to RevPro, um, you know, get some of that, that uh, you know, British experience there. Um, it, it seemed like it might be easier, though, to send him to the U.S. Um, indies are starting back up. You can have him work strong. You can have him work some indies in the area. Um, you, you could potentially have him work on Dark. He could go to Impact. He could go to Ring of Honor. There seems to be a, a lot of different places he can kind of bounce around if he goes to the U.S. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking right now. I mean, I guess that we have part. They have partners in the U.K. and Mexico, but because right now it feels like these guys are ready to go, and I don't know the status or the state that those you know. Um, just different regions are in when it comes to wrestling. If, if it would be a conducive, you know, environment for them to learn what they need to learn and be exposed to what they need to be exposed to. But the U S is pretty much open. So that's kind of my thinking. Yeah. Uh, and he follow up to that. He says when he returns, what character and faction would suit him best? I, yeah, I never know when it comes to, uh, when it comes to guys returning and, and joining factions, and I, I typically tend to be wrong when it comes to this sort of thing. I mean, do you have any thoughts here? I mean, if I had to make a guess right now, I would say maybe Suzuki Goon. I've seen we've seen like Saber and Taichi really take it to him, and he's been wanting to fight Suzuki. That that whole rivalry was was Suzuki, and so maybe Suzuki liked that, and uh, maybe wants to take him under his wing. Yeah, that now that you're mentioning that, that that's probably what I'd agree with as well. But who knows? He could, he could come back with you know green hair and be you know super master Yamura and be a bar second gun. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Kind of considering what has happened with Okan and um, <laughs> and Watto, and I'm not even complaining. I'm just saying like there's no way we could have ever known they would end up the way that they were when they returned. So really, who's to say or who knows? Right. And his last question, where is Gabe Kidd? Uh, probably in the UK, I would assume, if he's, you know, not wrestling. I don't, I, I'm wondering, well, I don't want to speculate about anything that that we don't know for sure. Yeah. But I, I just want to say, like, it feels like we haven't seen him since the COVID outbreak. Right, yeah. So, I don't know if maybe he went home after that time. Uh, and he's in the UK or something like that, or who knows? Right, and I mean, it's possible he went back to the U.S. I mean, technically, he is a member of the L.A. Dojo, 
So maybe he went back to continue training with Shibata. Uh, who knows? My only thinking is they don't have him advertised for anything, and they haven't used him on any tapings. It seems like if he came back, you know, they would utilize him. But I don't know. Narita was sort of, you know, MIA for a long time. So yeah. So we'll we'll see what happens with uh, Gabe Kid there. So uh, coming up um, tomorrow or today, whenever you're listening to this, uh, Wednesday, June 23rd, we have another uh, Kazuna Road Show. We have the Great Okan taking on Yotosuji, Kota Ibushi taking on Yuya Yuomura. We'll have the Chaos team of Goto, Okada, Ishii, uh, Toriyano, and Yoshihashi taking on the Bullet Club team of Dick Togo, Evo, Geo Jado, and Yujiro. Then semi-main event, we'll have Despi, Taichi, Kanamaru, and Saber taking on LIJ. And then the main event will be for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team titles or Punky 3K. Show and Yo will defend the titles against the Bullet Club team of El Fantasmo and Taiji Ishimori. Young boy, who do you think is walking away with the titles? Um, I think it needs to be Rapungi 3K, right? I would think so, and I would, I would guess it probably, you know, ELP would have to eat the pin there because you, you do have Taiji who's going to be getting a shot at Despy for the title next month. I don't think you'd want to beat him, but also then you could also potentially have the, the titles kind of, you know, tied up with him going on, going on to a singles program. Yeah, one thing I don't like is how and they've sort of needed to do it because there's so few juniors available, but they've kind of interlumped the junior tag team title into the feuds with the junior title. And very often they've had like the challengers being a title situation for, uh, you know, a tag title situation right around the same time as they're like challenging. And so I, I don't like the idea that like, for instance, Ishimori needs to look strong. So he needs to win the junior tag team titles and carry it into the match because hypothetically, Maybe he's not going to beat Desperado, that sort of thing. So I I wish that they'd kind of separate these two titles a little bit so things don't just always feel so, like, intertwined all the time with those two belts, you know? Right. It's like you always kind of have to have a program with both at the same time. Uh, yeah, and, and then it feels like the outcome of the lesser title, which the tag team titles, is sort of determined on the future booking of whatever the junior title might end up being. So... Um, that's kind of why I'm thinking maybe Rapongi 3K wins here, kind of retains and stays strong as champions because, you know, I don't know if, if Phantasmo and Taiji Ishimori win, it's kind of the same thing that that's the same boat show and yo were just in when, you know, yo was trying to challenge. Right. And then I feel like it's kind of a giveaway that Ishimori is not beating Desperado. Right. If he wins for sure, then it, it kind of feels like he more than likely won't win. The, the actual belt. Right. So, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Rapungi 3K here, retaining. I also heard that um, El Fantasmo's uh, contract, like he doesn't have a lot more time on his contract. Is that something you've heard? I have not heard of that. It's the first I'm hearing about that. I don't remember where I heard it, but I heard someone saying that they, you know, that he might be one of those guys that are kind of looking at their options. I mean, what, the end of the year. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, he's definitely gone over with fans and has great matches, and I feel like he's somebody that could be utilized in AEW or some other uh, North American promotion. So we'll see what happens there. 
So uh, some few other news items that we didn't cover at the beginning of the show. Uh, first from the Observer newsletter, uh, Will Ospreay uh, got the MRI results back on his lower back this week, and he said that while the news wasn't the best, it did say that damage was treatable, and the results have got him uh, fired up to return. So a little Osprey update there so to keep our eyes on the return of Will Ospreay. Uh, strong openweight champion, Filthy Tom Waller. Uh, he, he won a straight 30-27 decision over Jordan Young on the 617 a PFL show in Atlantic City, <clears throat> excuse me, Atlantic City, New Jersey. After the win, Lawler took off his gloves and left him in the ring, signaling the retirement from MMA. So it looks like uh, Lawler's going to be focusing more on wrestling. Yeah, sounds like it. Sounds like he may be done. Then we have uh, Jeff Cobb. He is returning to the. He's returned to the U.S. after uh, his tours in New, J- in New Japan, and he's going to be doing some indies um, here in the states before he returns to New Japan. They got to fix him, teach him how to rework the indie style. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's been hitting guys too hard, you know? He's got to lay off. Uh, Satoshi Kojima defeated Rhino last week on Impact to earn a tag title match for him and Eddie Edwards. So I think it'll be this week uh, Kojima, Eddie Edwards taking on uh, Violent by Design for the Impact tag team titles. Um, then last thing here. Albert Hardy Jr., better known as ACH, announced on his Instagram that he will be stepping away from wrestling. Um, he had retired in 2019, came back, and then in the pandemic, uh, he's been working for New Japan Strong, MLW. He's done a number of independents. He's done Game Changer, AEW, and different Texas groups. Um, he was last on New Japan on the February 26th uh, episode of Strong. Um, and wrestled through the first week of May for AEW as well. I've done done some of the MLW TV tapings through uh, March, and a San Antonio promotion with a local TV through April. So, any thoughts on ACH stepping away? Um, yeah, I mean, I think he's um, voiced in the past thoughts about potential retirement, or you know, maybe even made some announcements and then kind of went back on them, but um kind of similar to like Leo Rush where both guys have sort of been contemplating or considering it for a bit now. Um, I don't know what really was the impetus for him making this decision, but you know, if this is what makes him happy, I hope he's happy. Uh, he is a, one of my favorite guys to, you know, see wrestle and be entertained by. And I kind of in a certain sense, selfishly hope that this isn't the end of the road for him. It's just, you know, an announcement. We'll see him back uh, on the Cerulean Blue Mat. You know, sooner rather than later. But you know, if this is the way it is, um, you know, there's a lot of really great ACH stuff out there, uh, especially on New Japan World with, with uh, all his like runs to the Super Juniors and you know the different tag teams he's had with guys like Taguchi and stuff like that. So um, yeah, I, I hope it's not the end. If it is, you know, he's had a great run. And I just feel like there's a lot more for him, you know, once this, once things open up, like the, I feel like there's going to be, there could potentially be more for ACH down the road. Right. And I think the encouraging thing is he says that he's stepping away. He didn't use the words retirement, like Leo Rush said, I'm retiring. He said, I'm stepping away. So that, that could leave the door open for maybe him coming back in the future. I hope, I hope that is the case because I mean, he, he's fantastic at what he does, you know? And I feel like, him in the junior division, him, you know, 
in another best of super juniors. Like I could see him like going to the finals or winning one of those and kind of like being like one of the top, you know, uh, Gaijin guys in that division. Yeah. All right. We have a few questions here to run through and then recommended match of the week. Uh, so first from Viking Pain says, do you guys know what happened to Federation wrestling? I believe it was young boy. who said that it was never going to happen, but why? And will this repair the broken bridge between ROH and CMLL? I just said it was never going to happen because look at the talent that was announced for that show. And you look at the politics of the different affiliations that they all have, how much money it was going to cost to pay to have all those names. And, you know, whatever supposed financial backing they had, that all just seems super suspect to me. Plus, it's not the first time that guys who aren't CMLL and aren't AAA have tried to start a major promotion. That's not to say that there aren't like other promotions out there. There's tons of them. And there's, you know, even regional ones like the crash or there's like Lucha Libre elite in the past. But realistically with the, the kind of established history that CMLL and AAA have in the region, the idea that some new guys like are just going to come up, snatch up all the, talent like that like i i guess it could happen in the right scenario this just didn't feel like it was that and i just was like this is bullshit it's never (laughs) it's never gonna happen um i i don't know if it's gonna i'm pretty sure ring of honor cmls regardless of what happens their relationship seems to be done which doesn't bode well for those two companies ongoing relationship with new japan because they all seem to be somewhat dependent on one another Right, yeah, I think you know CMLL. We've seen the past there. They, you know, they will cut ties with people very easily. We've seen that with you know Roosh and Dragon Lee and, and, the, and their family, Munoz family. Um, and so now I think we're gonna see this with, with ROH. And I think for a lot of the guys, CMLL guys that were gonna try and work this show, I'm sure a lot of those guys are not gonna get um, booked again for CMLL shows in the future. Yeah. Uh, this next question says, I was recently listening to Talk and Shop podcast with the Good Brothers and Rocky, and they were talking about the recent WWE releases, and they were all pretty much unanimously thought that Buddy Murphy would be a great fit in New Japan. Now, with Rocky being the guy who books foreign talent, do you think we will see Murphy on Strong or in New Japan proper in the future? Well, you know, what's the one knock on Buddy Murphy? Um, realistically, it's, you know, maybe a lack of being a great promo. Other than that, his look, his physique, his work, you know, that stuff's all top notch. Um, But in New Japan, you don't really have to be a top promo. You know, most of it is dependent on your work. So if there was one guy that I was going to bring in that I think that would be, uh, you know, from the recent firings, like he's probably top two, top three. Um, So I think that it's like sort of a natural fit. Does that mean he for sure is going to come in? I, I, I would say no, it's not, but there's a high likelihood. I, I wouldn't see why that would be a a great landing spot for him. Right, and I know you mentioned earlier when we were talking about resurgence, you know, that could be a great place to debut somebody. You know, if they're going to bring him in, that could be a cool thing to kind of bring him there and kind of get that live, that pop in the live crowd and bring him in to New Japan that way. Maybe, like, I don't know that he'd be ready to challenge for one of the big belts, but what if you brought him in and, like, he was the resurgence challenger for the strong title. Mm, Inverse Lawler. Yeah. That would be cool. Yeah. Or we could kind of just set him up maybe against one of like 
you know, uh, Narita or Fredericks or Connors, like one of the, the, the LA Dojo guys. Isn't Buddy Murphy from Australia? Yes. Yeah, I mean, there's also sort of that, like, oceanic, you know, um, connection with New Japan in that region as well. I know he probably doesn't live there right now, but, you know, that's where he's from. I remember it was a big deal when he won, like, that cruiserweight belt on that, you know, big Australia stadium show for WWE. Yeah. Um, and again, with that, too, they, he could probably maybe fit in with, like, the United Empire, um, could kind of represent Australia in that group. Yeah. That's another, that's a thought. I had not thought of that. They don't have a junior. Right, yeah. And so, yeah, Great O'Connor is looking elsewhere, so who knows, Buddy Murphy could be the junior of the Empire. Uh, next question, with the recent match between Otami and Shuri getting a huge 5.5 star rating from Uncle Dave and Stardom in general getting a lot of steam, will this finally shut the door on the talk of NJPW having a women's division, or will this actually have an inverse effect and prompt NJPW and Stardom to work together more? Well, there was there's never been uh, any kind of talk of New Japan having a women's division. Um, I, I think that you know New Japan and Stardom working together is really just dependent on what their parent company wants for them. You know, um, we kind of saw the recent you know big cyber agent show where all the different brands worked together, and it seemed to be a huge financial success. Um, you know, who's to say New Japan and Stardom didn't do some version of that down the road, but, uh, I don't know that, you know, the perception of this match has anything to do with any of that sort of stuff. Yeah, I I don't think so. I think they're just going to see this as, you know, kind of a big business for Stardom and, you know, just continue to grow Stardom in popularity. I mean, since Bushiro has taken over, Stardom has grown tremendously. They've been doing bigger buildings, and I think they have a really great uh, talent roster right now. And uh, shout out to this the Stardom uh, English uh, Twitter account that retweeted um, the One Nation Radio episode reviewing this match. Um, yeah, they got some great things going on Stardom. I don't think there's any need to you know have them like make this like a women's division from New Japan. Uh, his last question here to our resident fight fan aficionados over at KISS. Break down the MMA match between Hager and Wardlow on AEW. And was it better or worse than the Samoa Joe Kurt Angle one in 2008? Uh, I didn't see this. <laughs> um, I didn't watch it. So um, so I, I did watch uh, Hager and the Wardlow here. Uh, it, it was very... Inter- I, I can tell you it's not better than Joe and Angle from 08, although I don't really, I don't know, that's, I guess it is kind of a shoot match, but it's not It the same. is, but it wasn't really, like, billed at, like, this was billed as, like, this was billed as, like, an a, MMA fight. Like, Joe and Angle was beige as a steel cage match, but both guys kind of. They kind of worked it that way, but they didn't strictly work it as a shoot, you know, they, right. they had shoot elements, but it was still a wrestling match. Right, and I think, did Kurt Angle wear, like, MMA shorts? I think he might have wore MMA He shorts. did. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure he did, yeah. Yeah, so they, so the, in the presentation a little bit, they kind of treated it like. Well, I think they had, like, Frank Trigg as, like, the special guest right. referee. Right, yeah. But, yeah, but they didn't say, like, this is an MMA. They didn't, you know, have, like, a MMA-style cage. Like, this was, like, this is an MMA fight. Here's an MMA-style ring, MMA-style cage. And so. Uh, yeah, I'm, look, I'm looking at pictures. Yeah, he, he wore freaking MMA trunks. I need to rewatch this match. I haven't seen it in years. It's it's really good. 
Yeah, um, as far as like uh, Wardlow and Hager, I, I enjoyed the match. Um, I, I popped freaking Wardlow did a Hurricane Rada <laughs> in the uh, the second round of the match, which was hysterical. I just like I died laughing. It was so hysterical. Um, but I mean, I thought they they worked it pretty good. I mean, I don't think it's the best uh, you know shoot fight style. Obviously, you know Josh Barnett's blood sport in recent years has kind of been you know key in like the the, the shoot fight style in pro wrestling, uh, but. I thought they worked a good match. I thought it was very enjoyable. It wasn't the best, you know, shoots by style, but that was good. I didn't see it. So I, I really can't say I need to go back and watch it. Dude. Here's the thing is like, I'm not, I already wasn't watching strong on a Friday night. So I'm for sure not watching AW on a Friday <laughs> night. And like, I don't know. Like, I'm just not going to watch AW until they come back to Wednesdays because like, I don't know. I've, I've got a life. <laughs> Uh, moving on to just a little bear zero one says of the older five lines of the LA dojo, Fredericks, Connors, Coughlin, Narita, and Kid. Who do you see as the first to win a title in New Japan that isn't the strong title? Well, since that entire you know encompasses all the belts, I mean that could be anybody. Let like let's just put all those names on a board and like spin one of those arrows around until it like lands on one of them randomly. I I have no idea. Uh, let's just say. I don't know, Gabe Kid. Because <laughs> um, why not? Like, who knows? I, I have no idea. Right, because, I mean, obviously, some of these guys might be juniors. Some of these guys might get teamed up together. It could be, obviously, it might be a little bit easier to get a junior title or a tag, tag team title, maybe the never title over, like, getting the world title. Never six man. Right. Uh, but if I had to KOPW. Think... <laughs> oh, I, I, I literally forgot all about KOPW. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but if they, I'm thinking singles title. I don't. I'm, I'm leaning towards Carl Fredericks just because you know he has been the guy that they've kind of pushed at the head of the class on that uh, that group. He won the Young Lions Cup, and I feel like they clearly saw big things for him. Also, they they put him against Kenta in the New Japan Cup, and there was going to be some big stuff there. And so I think if anybody's going to get like the first kind of big singles title moment, I would think it'd be Carl Fredericks. Nah, it's Narita. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I'd be happy with that too. I love Narita, and I think he could easily. Are, are you saying you wouldn't be happy if any if any particular one of them won? I mean, I would be happy. I don't know. I just feel like Fredericks is like the the main guy that they've been, they've been pushing. But uh, Narita, you think Narita's going to be a junior? Or you think he's kind of bulking up enough to be a heavyweight? I think I think he's too violent the way he wrestles to be a junior. Like I think he kind of needs to be a heavyweight. But I really don't know. So I feel like he's bulked up uh, since leaving Japan. So I feel like he's kind of teetering that edge. I feel like he could be a heavyweight. Um, Hard to say at this point. Yeah. Uh, next question from Steven from the Wrestling Squared Circle. In a perfect world and Hiromu coming back and COVID gone, uh, you mentioned him and Dragon Lee. Since Dragon Lee is now a Rudo, could we have a newer feud with Hiromu as a face and Dragon as a Rudo? Possibly, but I don't know that the face heel alignment really ever truly dictated much about this feud in New Japan. Um, I think it definitely did in Mexico and in ROH, but I would I don't think it did in New Japan at all. Also, keep in mind, Ryuli and Dragon Lee are not the same guy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, so they look, they do all the same moves. They look identical, but one is Ryuli and one is Dragon Lee. So Dragon Lee is a heel, but Ryuli is a face. Is what you're telling, what you're Co- telling me? Correct. <laughs> correct. 
Dragon that's League. That's like when, remember when like uh, Hulk Hogan was like getting, <laughs> he was, uh, I don't know, the, he was like suing that, that group for the sex tape or whatever. Oh, yeah, Gawker. Like, yeah, Gawker. And they're asking him about like his like measurements and he's like, Terry Bollea <laughs> is, but Hulk Hogan is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I guess there could be a situation where really comes back, but like, you know, working heel. But I don't know if New Japan's going to acknowledge like the ongoing Federation and Gobernable like storyline. Right. We, we've seen very little of like ROH storylines carry over. We're seeing it a little bit now with like the whole Violence Unlimited with Brody and Chris Dickinson, but really haven't seen a ton of that with you know really. Uh, Prior to the pandemic, I know he he did wear his uh, LFI you know jacket to the or jersey to the the ring for Wrestle Kingdom, and the announcers were clear to point out you know that's not Lij like, don't worry don't worry about <laughs> what's on his jersey so we'll see we will see. Uh, so here's a question here from Hawaiian Punch BV. First, have you been keeping up with the real NJPW Strong Champion Shoeface Antonio Carlos Jr. over at PFL? No. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't know who that is. He's uh, he's the last fighter that defeated um, Filthy Tom Lawler, and I believe that that was after, you know. Oh, okay. So it's not the real. It's the lineal. It's the lineal. He's carrying the lineal NJPW Strong Title. We should um track this. We should track this. <laughs> yes. Uh. <laughs> uh. Uh, next question: Why is Naoya Anui the most entertaining fighter in boxing right now? Because he fucking schools people and knocks them out, and he's fast and he hits hard and like he's he's awesome. <laughs> uh, it says, "What do you think about your pick from last week, Tefemo Tefemo Lopez being an anti-vaxer and catching COVID?" Um. I don't remember who it was, but I heard a rumor that uh, that Lopez like doesn't actually have COVID, but like this is a cover because they couldn't sell off tickets. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I don't have any thoughts. You know, like you think I'm surprised that a that a fighter is an anti-vaxer or that they you know catch COVID? Like, no. <laughs> Th- these are people that get hit in the head and you know use their bodies to fight each other. For their living, right? For their, you know, to like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, on to the UFC fights this weekend. What do you think about is that Cyril Gain or Gagne and his chances in a future fight against Ngannou? Um, I mean, we'll see. I'm not as familiar with Gain, but I mean, you know, at this point right now, I don't unless it, unless the fighter's name is John Jones, I don't give most fighters. You know, a great chance against Ngannou. I mean, he's the scariest fighter I've ever seen in my life. Uh, he says, uh, Vokal should be an interesting test for him this weekend, and do you think his height will give Gain some trouble? Uh, again, I'm not that familiar with Gain, but, I mean, I'm very familiar with Volkov. And, uh, yeah, I mean, his height usually gives most heavyweights, um, you know, a lot of trouble. Kind of looking up Cyril Gain. And he's eight and zero. Oh, don't know much about him. 
professional fighter. Oh, wait, I think I saw this guy fight before. Man, you know, he kind of looks like uh, Anthony Joshua a little bit. I'll have a look that up and see. He's a French fighter. He's got uh, seven wins in kickboxing, eight wins in MMA, three knockouts, three submissions, two decisions. Oh, oh yeah, he just beat Rosenstruck. Um, I didn't watch that fight, though, and he was the guy that knocked out Dos Santos. I didn't watch that either. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I guess I'll have to check him out. I I hadn't heard anything too buzzworthy about Gain just yet as being like a future contender or anything, personally. Yeah, I mean, I'm very kind of casual with the MMA, but I really haven't had heard any of my MMA friends really talk about him or hype him up, and yeah, like he mentioned Nagano is just like, freak athlete right now and just have a hard time seeing anybody taking him out right now not just that like he's become so seasoned and mature as a fighter right um you just look at the evidence from that previous fight he had with uh freaking god why do i forget fighters names i know you're talking about because he uh he used more of like steep yeah steep he's more like the ground game and it's just one of those things it's like you know if he hits you he's probably gonna put you to sleep and you know, very few people have had enough of a chin or enough of ability to avoid to take him into deep water. So, um, and at this point, I, I don't know if anyone will. Yeah, uh, Volkov against Gain, that actually sounds very interesting. That's one I'll, I'll definitely check out this week. Then the last set of uh, fight questions here from Dom Homie 101 uh, First thoughts on the upcoming Tank Davis versus Mario Berrios fight. Any thoughts, any thoughts on Tank at 140? In my opinion, I'm looking forward to the fight. I do think this will be a tough fight for Tank, but I do believe Tank will win. He just got he just got to go to the body. Uh, yeah, I mean, Gervonta Davis is one of the you know most impressive fighters that are out there right now. Um, just, yeah, I mean, after what he did to, like, Leo Santa Cruz and Gamboa, like... He, he's the truth. We already kind of knew it, but seeing him kind of take the old guard out that way, like it's kind of crazy. Um, the Barrios fight should be difficult, but um, I mean, what fight is this happening at? This is okay. Yeah. So this is going to be at 140. That's going to be the big test. I mean, he was at 135 just pr- prior to this and that looked like it might be his optimum weight, but not totally sure because I mean Travante is not the biggest guy in the world, you know, and he's already gone up three weight classes. I mean he's five five and a half. So I mean with that frame, I don't know if I could see him go, getting up to one forty seven. Like this feels like it might be his max. Um, yeah, I don't know. Any thoughts on the upcoming Lomachenko versus Nakatani fight? Don't be surprised if we see upset in the fight. I, I would be super surprised. I mean, I think people are f- kind of forgetting how special Lomachenko is just because Tiafimo beat him. Um, but I mean, yeah, I think Lomachenko is a once in a generation type of fighter. <laughs> I really do. Um, I'm I'm excited to see this fight, but I mean, I I would be super surprised if Nakatani beat uh, you know Loma. And then last thoughts on Anderson Silva upsetting Julio uh, Cesar Chavez Jr. At this point, I think Chavez Sr. would trade his son for Canelo in a heartbeat, and he told this to Canelo when they both when they both embrace each other. 
Okay, I'm pretty sure that's not what he told. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, man, I was wrong last week. I I just figured there's no way <laughs> that Anderson Silva could beat former middleweight world champion Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. But um, that's exactly what happened. I mean, Anderson Silva's like almost 10 years older than him, I think. And yeah, for eight rounds, I mean, he beat this guy up and he cut him and he looked crisp. I mean, Anderson Silva, like he's one of my all-time favorite fighters. So like I shouldn't be surprised, but I mean, you know, Muay Thai and MMA are are a completely different animal than it comes to boxing. And I know he's a huge boxing fan. I know he's been, you know, I know he's had pro fights, you know, back in Brazil, but I mean, those were like in gymnasiums like 15, 20 years ago. Uh, maybe more. So that it's just crazy that he went out there. I mean, he was playing, he was toying with Chavez. Like he, there were times where like, he was like touching his ankles and then fucking, you know, tagging this guy. <laughs> his jab was so crisp. Um, but yeah, I, it was funny when Chavez jr. And the, the Canelo stuff, that was kind of funny, but, um, or senior, I should say, but yeah, man, JCC jr. Like he looked like he even like train or, cut weight or anything for this like i don't know probably uh underestimating uh silva here i feel like other people who are watching this now might want to maybe fight anderson silva in a boxing fight like maybe we finally could get that roy jones fight that i was talking about before um so i know that uh they were talking about maybe even him and jake paul bro mm. i think you fuck up jake paul <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they'll make it a uh, exhibition so there's a, uh, you know. No, no, no. Like, Anderson Silva's a warrior. He's not trying to fight no exhibitions. He's, he wants to go for the heart, you know? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, that wraps up the questions. Now on to recommended match of the week. Uh, so last week you recommended uh, Liger versus Owen Hart from their uh, top of the Super Junior match uh, that was on YouTube. Watch this match, and it was a awesome matchup. Um, I mean, this this match I feel like holds up to today's standard with a lot of the stuff they were doing. I agree. Great chain wrestling, great sequences. I I wrote down awesome X division sequences because I, I felt like <laughs> I <laughs> I felt like I was watching an X division match. Like this could have opened up, you know, Impact in 2005, and it would be great. And I think this this could be a match on AEW or your any local indie, and, and it would it would fit that kind of high flying style. Um, you know, Owen was great as he usually is, and you know, hitting a planche and just a lot of the technical work that he was doing on Liger's arm, a lot of great submissions. Uh, you know, Liger was working the arm as well. Ton of great reversals. Uh, my my heart dropped a little bit when uh, Owen hit a tombstone on a uh, Liger. See, he got up in position, and immediately I'm just thinking to you know what what he did to uh, Stone Cold. Uh, but he did a, a regular tombstone. He didn't do the uh, the sit out one. He did the, the Austin uh, falls up a flying headbutt. Kind of see the, the, the dynamite kid influence there. Uh, goes for a moonsault for a near fall. Then Liger does this like a super electric chair drop kind of thing. Almost dropped Owen right on his head. That was pretty crazy. And then he finishes him off with a, a super DDT, which we talked about when we did the, the final countdown series. How Liger won some of his matches with this, this top rope. Super DT that looks super nasty. I, I don't know how you like really protect yourself on that thing, but obviously they did. But it looks devastating, and like if somebody can do that safely, like that, that's a great finish. And so, yeah, really great match here with uh, Owen and Liger. 
Awesome. I'm uh, glad you liked it. What what would you go with the rating on that? Uh, probably like four and a half. Yeah, that's uh, probably about where I'm at as well. Uh, now for uh, my pick for recommended match of the week, we are going back to 2012. We're going to January 4th in the Tokyo Dome. And we're looking at the first matchup of the night for the IWGP Junior Tag Team titles. Rocky Romero and Davey Richards taking on Rizuke Gucci and Prince Debit. Looking forward to this. Um, yeah, definitely looking forward. I don't know if I'm pretty sure I've seen this, but I'm not totally sure. Yeah, I haven't seen any of Davey Richards run in New Japan. And I almost, I almost forget that he did, was there for a little bit and teamed with Rocky. And so I'm um, pretty excited that he's coming back to wrestling now. He's going to be a part of uh, MLW. And I think Davey would be an interesting name to maybe get over to Strong. Um, so Maybe he's like the, one of the most hated guys in wrestling. So Yeah, I did heard. Yeah, I hear the wrestlers don't really like working with him and a, a little too stiff in the ring sometimes. So. Oh, it's like you got to take care of the people you work with. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. So we'll, we'll see if he gets anywhere outside of MLW uh, big. But, yeah, this it should be a fun matchup here for recommended match of the week. Awesome. Looking forward to it. And that's going to wrap things up for us here at Keeping a Strong Style this week. Next week, we'll be back to review more of the Kazuno Road and cover all the latest news happening in New Japan. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, we are facebook.com slash social suplex. In the Wrestling Squared Circle, we are facebook.com slash group slash wrestling squared circle. On Instagram, we are at Social Suplex. On Reddit, you can follow me, the pro black guy, just Keeping It Strong Style. Email me, jeremy at socialsuplex.com. You can check out our Discord server. The link for that will be in the description for the show. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We have One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. We have Grave Consequences with Kayla and Maserati. The 8-Bit Suplex with Josh, number two. All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin. And the Great Match Generator with Danny. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Itchy Bond. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. 
new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.